I had to figure out what I was looking at there for a minute. Um, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, whatever you feel like you are tonight, welcome into uh, the Grass Factor Podcast and Thirsty Thursday. I uh, will be your cruise director tonight. I'm here to keep you both drunk, happy, and, uh, well, on the straight and narrow as well. We can do all those things all at once, and we are going to do them. Uh, Matt is in the background. He is at the plant working on a top-secret project. So, uh, you know, if there is anybody watching, you know, this is all intellectual property. Don't do anything wrong with it. And then also we've got Ray and our very, very special guest for the second time on the program, Dr. Travis Shaddix. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? I'm great. How are you? How's how's Hawaii? Right. Oh, are there any? Are there any? Are there any? All right. Plenty of fun. (laughs) Yeah. Is there any any lava flowing? No, no, no lava flowing. But uh, we just went through one of our uh, epic uh, winter rainstorms. That's uh, What's it? What? usually uh, natural disaster worthy. What is the quantity of water that that equals a, an epic rainstorm for Hawaii? How much water are we talking about? How much rain? Well, I measure it in terms of number of inches of water per minute. Wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because <laughs> that's epic. Okay, because people, they think, oh, it's only rain. What are you bitching about? Well, get back to me when an inch of rain falls in, say, five or ten minutes. And then we'll rediscuss. Mm. You see, that, that's, that, that, that's Hawaii weather, is that it might not rain for weeks, months, whatever. And then all of a sudden, a weather a weather cell rolls in, and we get an inch of water in ten minutes. Mm. I don't know if I've ever seen that. I, I lived in in even through a hurricane, and I don't, I'm not sure if I saw that much rain. But that's you got me well, trumped on that one. You got me beat on that one. For no, sure. I no, I, I've I've seen it happen where it an inch of water coming down in a, an extremely short period of time i mean it's not an inch over 24 hours it's an inch in yeah. less than an hour all at once <laughs> all right i mean that's that, that's the tropics for you that's the tropics yeah. for you and then as soon as that has come it just disappears and it uh leaves all manner of flooding because i don't know of any kind of infrastructure capable of dealing with that much water all at once you know no yeah i i can see how this is problematic and um that's why i yeah. that's why i like lawns on sand ryan that's why i like them on sand because uh that way if the weather does that then i don't have turf grass that's several inches underwater for a prolonged period of time I, I could see how that's problematic and um at the same time though you know uh, mm-hmm. also in and dr shacks probably doesn't know this but i'm uh very slowly Hell yeah! trying to enable and and push ray 
to move to the continental United States, to get out of Hawaii. So, you know, right. maybe, well, Ray, this is another need- this is another selling point. Typical rainfall amounts, right? What mm-hmm. a great what a great idea, you know? Okay, no Ray, I got a question. Idea. Let's assume that you agreed with Ryan and you're going to move to the continental United States. Where do you move? Oh, I want to hear this. Yeah, okay, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. It's like I have a, a list of top five states. Not in any particular order. Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, Kentucky. Okay. And Why? South Carolina. Well, Dr. Uh, Shaddix has, has intimate knowledge of at least 40% of that, so I want to hear his response to your list. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to know why one of those states? All right, go ahead. Uh, it's because I don't believe in collectivism. <laughs> That's why. Okay? Because you live for another because, million years and not chosen that as your answer. So that's yeah, that's why I'm, I would have never guessed okay. that. No, you, uh, no, you should know. It, because the typical move for somebody from Hawaii is they go to California or Oregon yeah. or yeah. Washington State. And those three states are the last place I would want to end up. Okay. No, correction. I would not want to end up anywhere in the Northeast. I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah, the Northeast is definitely a unique area. You have to, you have to uh, appreciate it for what it is, for sure. I'm not, I'm not sure oh. if I would voluntarily move there, but there's a lot of good things, but it's definitely unique. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, I've not heard nice things about Massachusetts and New York, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. New York, New York State or New York City? I mean, New York. There's parts of New York State that are awesome. They're just fantastic. I mean, you get down in you know New well, York City area. Unfortunately, but... uh, you do realize that uh, New York City makes the rules for the rest of the state, and likewise with uh, <laughs> California. Southern California makes the rules for the rest of California, and that's the problem. Yeah. Okay, because you see, this is why, for example, Matt says uh, I'm more like a a rebel redneck, and I just don't realize it. (laughs) No, I realize it all right. The Hawaiian cowboy. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) <laughs> after uh after our geography and political science uh education there democracy um we're gonna move on to something that we all know a little bit more about in turf grass science so here's uh here is the rundown of the show we have no idea uh <laughs> our preparation level for the show is something uh similar to maybe some of the pop quizzes that dr shaddix used to give in his undergrad classes uh, I don't know. Well, real, real quick, are you a, are you a uh, a fan or not a fan as a uh, educator of pop quizzes? Well, I never actually taught any classes. I mean, no? I, I I team taught a class or two with a professor, mm. but I, I was always research extension in both both of my appointments. I never oh. actually um, was I never was the director of any course. Fair enough. So, I, but okay. I probably I probably wouldn't do any pop quizzes. 
what's the the to me the point of the class is not to I got you into you know what the, the point of the class is to you know it's an experience. I mean, it's it's as much as education for the instructor as it probably is for the students. I mean, we're we're in this thing together. Is, is it, we're in this we're, we're in this boat it, together more, here. Let's one point to the next right. together. <laughs> isn't true. it more about teaching people how to think? Well, that's a good point, Ray. I'm, I, I, if you want to know my uh, my point on my question, my position on that is, I'm not a, I'm not in favor of teaching people what to think. I'm in favor of teaching people how to think critically. We need, you know, as you can tell from my channel, Turfgrass Epistemology, mm-hmm. it's yes. all about learning how to critically think your way through. And mm-hmm. um, you'll be analytical, say, right? Yeah, be analytical. Yeah. I mean, that- yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of it's analytical, but it, it, it's more just understanding the, the value of critical thinking. You know, it, we, we've lost a lot of that because we're, we're getting five second clips on YouTube and TikTok and people want to just be having all the information just crammed in you and you want to be told what to do and how to do it and why to do it as opposed to thinking <laughs> about why are we doing this, critically thinking the process through. Is this is this a valid method that we've, chosen to to get to this conclusion as opposed to i mean you can say put the put the oven on 350 degrees for 20 minutes that's what people want usually people like me right. want to know why why is it 350 why is it 20 minutes instead of 15 minutes i want to i want to understand the process i want to be able to think my way through it and a lot of my channel is sort of based around that concept you know why why are we doing what we're doing how do we know as opposed to just telling you, I can pull up any BMP book and say, "Here, follow these BMPs, and you're probably better off than not following." Well, and BMP sure. book based upon research that we do, you know, we, you know, so anyway. But yeah, so, so okay. I'm not, a, I'm not in favor of pop quizzes. <laughs> okay, well, that was that was a very <laughs> we're good gonna answer. Be here for five hours. I give a I give a five minute answer on it. That's <laughs> fine. It's a, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good it's a good segue. So uh, okay, let, let's start with this. You know, let's have a little bit of conversation, and then we'll, we'll dive into some turf stuff because I think um, some of your uh, research informs yeah. uh, somewhat of a project, if you will call it, that we're doing uh over some of our next few episodes through the winter time and mm. trying to develop agronomic plans and stuff and help people take that critical thinking exercise and then give them some tangible um hey demay can i interrupt you please uh so jay pink and dr shaddix have done their own uh independent show prep and so oh Okay. Yeah, we we, we can from what can do that whenever. I was actually we, waiting on you. We to come will get back there. <laughs> we will get there. And uh, but th- since they they put hours into this, I I just got this in the pre-show. They put hours into this, and uh, mm. and so we'll 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 let them, uh, let let gonna... them guide us to the fire, and then if we have to have Doctor Shaddix back. To uh to continue on with the uh the the simulated company, we can do that okay. too. All right, he said he's right. game. So, whatever, yeah, I'm game with whatever. I'm going to be going over that. We can go over it later this evening, or we can go over. I'm going to be going over that nitrogen paper. I think you're going to talk about Ryan on my show in a week or two. Anyway, I've been getting a lot okay. of um, voicemails and emails about um, nitrogen sources and costs and things like. Should I be using this product or is there any value to this or can I make it more efficient? I've been getting a lot of that. So I'll probably end up going towards nitrogen sources on my channel rather than potassium sources over the next month. 
I think people are probably thinking about their, their ordering and all these things. So, so I'm all on board mm -hmm. with what you guys are doing and, um, it'll kind of coincide with what I'm doing on my channel as well. So we can go over that okay. later today or, or next time on whatever. Um, Perfect. but let's just, sure. so if I, if I can just do my thing here just for a couple minutes, so you let's, let's move into the show. Okay. And, and move into the, what I, what I've prepped and, and, um, and if I can just, um, pretend to, uh, kind of, you know, be in charge, I actually like being here, not doing anything. I had no prep really at all. I don't have to worry or stress <laughs> or read two hours of an article before I come on my show. So it's been nice to kind of just show up and do my thing. Um, but as we all know, the grass factor show is great, but. It would be it would be a shadow of itself without one Mr. John Pinkerton, right? The, the show's good, but True. it would be much much worse without Jay Pink. So today we're going to do something very unique. I'm an I'm an artist, although I, I I only say that under protest. My wife tells me I am, so I'm saying it, and I don't do the same thing twice. No one wants to see, you know, the same the painter paint the same painting twice. I don't go downstairs and go, oh, I just painted that one. I'm going to repaint it. I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do something fresh, something, something entertaining, you know, something to keep everybody interested. So today we're going to have a little game that I call, what does J pink know? How are we going to play this game? <laughs> now, J pink, un unbeknownst to me, sits quietly, very patiently, very calmly, behind the scenes, doing all this fancy stuff. How do I know this? Because I'm running my own show and it's freaking hard by yourself, okay? <laughs> it's not easy. All this stuff you see happens just magically in the background. No, Jay Pink's doing all this stuff. And so, what? but what at the same time, I'm wondering, is he paying attention? Is he listening? Does he know anything about turf? Is he, know, is he an IT person? I don't know him. Okay. Oh, I, I don't. I don't my. know him from Adam. <laughs> so I wanted. I wanted. To, I wanted to know what does <laughs> what does Jay Pink know about turf? The point of what is the point here? Before we get started, here's here's the point. The point, and this is one thing I asked John before I even started. The point is to not poke fun at Jay Pink at all. The point is entertainment. That's it. Entertainment and keep people interested and keep people coming to channels like this and channels like mine for in, in, evidence based information. It's it's just something unique and creative. But it is in no way intended to ridicule Jay Pink at all. I could have asked him all sorts of questions and he would have known them all. Or I could have designed another set of questions and he wouldn't have known any of them. And he could do the same thing to me. He could ask me 20 questions and I wouldn't have known a dang one. If he, if he could easily do that. So I just want to make sure we're clear. This is in no way intended to make fun of or mock or ridicule Jay Pink at all. Okay, because in fact, if we do this again, if it ends up working, well, I'll pick somebody else and it'll be fair for everybody because it's not intended to do that. It's intended just to have fun and have a good time together as we're going through learning stuff and, and uh, getting, getting exposure and entertaining the audience. Okay, uh, uh, so here's how the game's going to play. We are going to keep a scoreboard. Okay, we're going to play Ray versus Ryan versus Matt. Okay, as long as Matt's here. <laughs> Here's the scoreboard. Oh, shit. Okay. Matt, oh, Ryan, Ray. How do you get points? It's really simple. Only thing that you all, you three have to do individually, I'm going to ask Ryan a question, and then I'm going to ask Ray a question. Oh. I'm going to ask Matt a question individually. And all you have to do is say yes or no. That's it. <laughs> Very simple. So if we can go to a, to a, to a, a, test question that the the last question i sent you jane pink what i'm going to do is 
I'm going to ask Jay Pink a question about, could be anything, mostly about turf grass. Some things are about the Grass Factor show itself. And he's, he replied back to me with his answer. All you have to do is say, yes, Jay Pink <laughs> knows it, or no, Jay Pink didn't know it. Okay? So, for example, for example, oh. the, the test question, if Jay Pink's ready, we'll do the test question. In what year question. was the Grass Factor Discord created? So if I asked him, I asked um, Jay Pink, what year was the, te- the Grass Factor Discord created? He gave me an answer. So collectively, you three, we'll do the test as just as the example. What do you think Jay Pink knows what year the Grass Factor Discord was created? And, and yes. just to be clear, they only have to say yes or no. They don't have to know the answer. You don't have to know the answer at all. That's yes correct, no. Jay Pink. You, you, none of you have to know the answer. You just need to say, yes, Jay, Jay Pink knows that or no, he doesn't know that. 50% confidence intervals. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Ryan, do you think Jay Pink knows what year the Grass Factor Discord was created? Yes. Okay. Matt, what do you think? Yes. Ryan or Ray? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, the, we have a collective yes on all three. So, Jay Pink, what year was the Grass Factor Discord created? 2021. Now, do you, That's right. Nope, nope, nope. What? What? <laughs> it was 2020, if I remember correctly. Is that correct, JP? Oh. It was 2020. Yeah, it, it was, was 2020. 2020. So all of you mm-hmm. would have got it wrong. <laughs> okay. Oh man. So zero, Damn zero, it, zero. John, how did you wreck okay. that one? It was your idea. <laughs> this guy's a fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey. All right. <sighs> So just because the names are from top to bottom, Matt, Ryan, Ray, Matt will go first on the question. So that was the, that was just a warm up question. Okay, it was just to give you guys an idea of how these things are going to work. Okay, we'll we'll go basically until we get tired of it or until I say we're going to stop. But we have enough for a little bit of time here. Okay, all right. So Matt, if you're ready and you can hear Ryan and Ray, yeah. you don't need to help him out at all because we're we're in you know this is a deep competition. Okay. You know, the, the winner, this is serious, serious business. Okay. So let's start with question number one to Jay Pink. Red Bull Stadium have natural or synthetic grass? Does the Red Bulls Stadium, the New York Red Bull Stadium, have natural or synthetic grass? Matt, what do you, do you think Jay Pink knows that? No. That's, so that's your final answer? He does not know? That is my final answer. He does not know. Okay, Jay Pink, go ahead. Synthetic. Bing. He said synthetic. It's actually natural. Matt gets a point. So it's one. There you go. There's the ding, 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 ding. Oh, and by the way, if you get it wrong, the the uh, emote for getting the question wrong will be. It's absurd. <laughs> by the way i didn't even know you guys were doing that it's absurd is wrong okay all right so matt's one ryan zero ray zero of course we're still in round one here okay question number two jay pink latitude 36 bermuda grass was bred at which university Ryan, this is your question. Does Jay Pink know at which university Latitude was bred? I'll say yes. Oh, Jay Pink, UT. 
<laughs> said UT. It's absurd. Okay. <laughs> it's going to keep me going all night. One zero. Okay, Ryan gets it wrong. Next question is for Ray. Question number three. A 24-2-11 fertilizer has what percentage of nitrogen? Ray, do you think Jay Pink knows what percentage of nitrogen is in a 24-2-11? Yes. 24%. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> one zero one. After round one, we have uh, Matt, one, Ryan, zero, and Ray, zero. Very good, guys. So we all we all understand the game, how it's played. Very good. Okay, back to Matt. Question number four, JP. The person with the handle Looney is from what country? Does JP know where Looney's yes, from? Yes, he knows. Canada? Yes, he knows. Say it again. Canada? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Two points for Matt. boy, John! He's batting a thousand. All right. Good job. Well done. Well done. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Question. Shout number out to my two. lead, too. Thanks, Looney. <laughs> question number two. The fertilizer goes has the analysis. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. A fertilizer has the analysis 2000. How many pounds of fertilizer do you need to apply? If you want to apply one pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet, right? You think JP I'm going to have faith in yes, yes. And he didn't yes. use a, he didn't use a calculator, as far as I know. So you think he knows it? Yes, five pounds. Five pounds. Good job, Brian. He's on the board. <laughs> Build source faith. is on the board. I got faith. All right, Ray. Question <laughs> number two to Ray is question number six on the screen. Uh, JP, go for it. Name five warm season turf grass species. Ray, do you think <laughs> JP name five warm season turf grass? He's now he's been listening to you guys for how many years? I mean, he listens to a lot of turf grass stuff, but he's not necessarily a turf grass person. You think he can mm -hmm. name five warm season turf grasses? Yes. <laughs> Bermuda. Zoysia. Uh, St. Augustine. Centipede. Mm -hmm. Man. <laughs> nope. That's it. That's all I got. He only got four. But he got four. Buffalo grass. So you no, I had faith because, uh, true story, J-Pink and I first met back in 2018 in person. Okay. Yeah. Where did you guys meet? Because, uh, okay, J-Pink had family stationed uh, in the military here. Oh. Nice. And okay, good. We some, and we somehow connected because uh, J-Pink had to play uh, yard crashers for his uh, family member. Convert oh. five, 500 square feet of weed to St. Augustine grass turf. 
and it worked. Was that before this whole iteration of y'all's relationship, or were you guys already doing this when you all yes. met? No, no, it was way before. It was way before oh. we all came together. But That's interesting. Uh, things kind of evolved rapidly after Pink and I initially met because uh, next thing you know, uh, I was told something about uh, something out of a cake in Louisville, Kentucky in 2021. Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. Thanks for letting me know. I had no clue. All yeah, right, so that was Ray's. Was that Ray's question? Yeah, yeah. Yes. That was Ray, that was Ray's question. Okay, so that's the end of round two. It's two to one to one. <laughs> Matt's ready for question number. His next question. Now the next question is question number seven on the screen. JP, go for it. What does the acronym Lesco stand for? Does J Pink know what Lesco stands for? Does Not anybody here know what Lesco stands for? You're from you're from that area though, Ryan, aren't you? You're isn't you're generally from that area, I think. No, nope. hey, you know I, I didn't know. It. I didn't look it up. Yep. So Matt says no. He doesn't know it. JP? No idea. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> three for three. Man, Matt's gonna knock this one out of the park. He's gonna he's gonna lap you guys if you're not careful. Does anybody in the chat, just out of curiosity, know what the acronym LESCO stands for? Yeah, let's for? see. If would, uh, tell, Kelly says it means me. let's eat sausage-covered oysters. <laughs> I'm not going to. Let's not even. I guess people, somebody can Google it, I guess. But it, let's not even say the answer, and let's see if someone pops it in the chat in the next couple of seconds. If you just Google it and put it in there, that's not fair. But, but let's go to the next. So that was Matt, three for three. Good God. Three for three, Matt. Ryan's next question, one and one. Okay, so the next question is question eight on your screen, Jay Pink. For name Ryan. four cool season turfgrass species. Yes, <laughs> think you can do that. Okay, let's hear it. Kentucky bluegrass, fescue, ryegrass, bentgrass. It's absurd. Ding ding ding. Uh, you hit the wrong. <laughs> <All right. one. laughs> I hit the wrong sounder. He got it. He got it. By the way, just this audio, by the way, JP, it sounds incredibly good. It, he, it, just so the audience knows, he's not answering the question live. We've recorded this prior to today. So I, 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 I um, asked him these questions a month ago or whatever it was. Oh, shit. I, and that, so, huh? <laughs> I, well, I'm figuring dang. he's answering these live. That, that, that makes me oh, nervous. Like, I should have said he that. I thought he was like phoned up for this test and he was like all prepared for this. Like he'd been studying no, for the last no, no. month to put him up to I, it. I should have said something. I, oh, I should man. have said something. The, the, audio, the, the audio is the odds on this whole competition. We... Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the audio is so clean. It actually sounds live. But he, we, this was recorded a month ago. And so the questions and answers have already been recorded. And he's just, he's just playing the sound bites from each question and yeah. answer. So, wow. <laughs> um, but Man. that's that's good. I mean, it sounds really good. All right, Ray. Um, let's see where are we at on the screen here. So <laughs> number nine. Question number nine goes to Ray. Go ahead. The 2026 World Cup will take place on which continent? Do you think Jay Pink knows which continent the World Cup will be played on, Ray? There's only seven no. continents. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, you say no? Nope. Okay, nope. Jay Pink. Let's hear it. 
Australia. Ding, 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 ding. You got it right. So <laughs> Ray is on the screen now with two. Keep hitting the wrong one. So no, Ray got it right. He he said you did not know it. Sorry. So it's three to two to two. Ray and Ryan just keeping it close. We're going back to Ryan. I'm sorry, back to Matt for question number 10. What does LD50 stand for? Do you think know what LD50 stands for, Matt? I'm going to say he does not know lethal dose. I'm going to say no. Lethal dose 50%. God. It's absurd. Wow. (laughs) Nailed it. Strike one for Matt. Yikes. (laughs) Really calibrating J-Pink here. (laughs) I was impressed with that for sure. Yeah. That was that all right. Was... Three to two to two, and Ryan and Race will have one more question in this round. All right. So, question number eleven goes to Ryan. Which state has the most acres of turf grass? Ryan, do you think Jay Pink knows which state has the most acres? No. Jay Nebraska. Pink? He got it wrong. You got it. You got it right. It is Texas. By a country mile, not even remotely close. Texas is, Yikes. I think, I think they equal the next two or three combined in turf grass acres. It's insane. So Texas is is uh, putting out some turf grass. You would, I, I wouldn't think that though, guys. I mean, you think most the the entire western half of Texas is a desert, basically. I don't. You wouldn't think there'd be that much turf, but there is apparently. Anyway. Uh, let's see. So we're on Ray now. So, uh, Matt's three, Ryan's three. Ray could tie up the whole board right here with question number 12. In what state does Jesse Bousquet live in? (laughs) You think Jay Pink knows what state Jesse Bousquet lives in? Yes. He does? There you go. (laughs) We're all tied up. Good job, Ray. We are all tied up going in. To the, to that was the, an easy question. Yeah. Easy question. <laughs> well, I, I don't. I don't really. I don't know Jesse. I, I just. I've heard him once or twice, and I don't. I don't think he comes on my channel. But um, I've heard him once or twice, and I wasn't actually even sure what the answer was. But I think yeah, he knew it. So. Okay, so we're back to Matt. <laughs> the next question is question number thirteen to Matt. Fescue you, is native to which continent? Do you think Jay Pink knows which continent Fescue is native to? I'm going to say yes. Okay. Africa. What? He said Africa. It's absurd. <laughs> John, so he didn't know. He didn't know. It's your. You did that on no. purpose, John. <laughs> Get fucked! You did <laughs> So Matt finally strikes. Okay, so it's three to three to three. Ryan and Race will have a question like left in this round. We t- he took a lead. Now he's he's he could be behind here at the end of this Choking. round. We'll see what happens. Like a question like a typical 14. UT fan choking at the end. <laughs> question Name. number fourteen goes. I'm sorry. Question number fourteen goes to Ryan. Name four unique types of slow release nitrogen fertilizers. 
Do you think Jay no. Pink, after listening to you guys for two or three years, you don't think he can name four types of slow-release no. fertilizers? None? Okay, let's hear what you have to say, Jay Pink. No idea. <laughs> he said none. <laughs> no idea. So you got it correct. No, you were sharp to the end. You were fast to the answer there, Ryan. You had no faith in your, your partner. There. I, I just, I, I'm just trying to calibrate where, you know, where's the value in me scoring a point or not. And that was an easy value, right? <laughs> okay. It was a six week reapplication right there. Boom. Felt it felt good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Ray, next, let's see. The question for Ray is question number 15. What is the capital of the state where Ryan lives? We all know Ryan lives in Ohio. Do you think Jay Pink knows the capital of Ohio? Yes. <laughs> Jay Pink? Columbus. Ding, 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 ding. So we, <laughs> Matt was ahead three to one to one. Was that right? I think he was way up there. Now, all of a sudden, it's flip-flop. The, the, the back of the pack has not come to the front. This could be you know down to the wire here. You guys are doing far better than I, I thought anybody would. So the next question to Matt, he's going he's gonna to have to get his thinking cap on here. And the next question is question 16. What is the active ingredient in Ronstar? <laughs> Ooh. <No. laughs> if he no says oxidizon, I'm going to shit myself. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeff. Say it again. I have no idea. Ah! No, 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 I just want to point out here. Oh, go ahead. Uh, how, you know, you, you're so fast. I mean, uh, how, Jay, how long has Jay Pink been working with you guys? How many years? 2021? Three years. Three years. Three years. He's been listening to all this stuff about turf grass and no confidence in his ability to, to say the answer. I mean, that's fast. I, I, I listen, mean, what, I look at this as a positive. He has, uh, very 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 selectively filter this out for the most part i think that's mm. a perk <laughs> in his job well what yeah, i'm, I'm gonna shit well what i'm what i agree with you what i'm what i'm saying is is that i don't think anybody could listen to you three and still run the show in the background and comprehend anything you're saying because he, he's doing so much <laughs> stuff that's the whole point he's he's so busy i mean you can't keep up with, you can't yeah you can't keep up with all this stuff <laughs> so now it's tied again, but we have two more questions left in this round for Ryan and Ray. So the next question for Ryan is question number 17. The Astrodome is thought to be the first stadium with synthetic turf. What company manufactured the turf? No. J-Pink? DuPont. Does anybody know that answer? Monsanto. He said DuPont. Ryan said Monsanto. Does anybody else know the answer? Anybody else? Yeah, whatever know? they were called before Monsanto. No, it's Monsanto. Uh, was it? So you got it correct, man. Now, right. <laughs> this, let's see, we can go into like one or two bonus questions, but this was technically going to be like the last question of the, of the game for Ray. But, you know, if Ray gets this correct, then we got a tie. The playoff. And we may have to go into like sudden death or something. I don't know. So, Ray, this question number 18 is for you. 18. What year did the Grass Factor join YouTube? You think Jay Pink knows what year the YouTube Grass Factor account started? 
Yes. I think it was 2003. It's absurd. <laughs> 2003? YouTube wasn't even in, like, a, a thing. 2003. No, it was 2015. Ray missed it. Ryan goes away with the championship you of win. what does right. Jay Pink know? Congratulations. You won. I, I feel I feel honored. Bless <laughs> uh, speech. Um, I didn't know that you know Jay Pink in a in a moment of weakness thought that Matt was making videos and people were downloading them on on LimeWire uh, back in back in two thousand three. So I, I'm thoroughly impressed that you guys got that many correct. I mean, a fifty fifty shot, you would think you'd miss half of them, probably. What, what, what did we get? We had uh, thirteen what? out of eighteen correct answers. That's not bad. You guys did really solid well. C students right there. I mean, you got to respect that effort. Yeah, and half the well, questions I mean, Jay Pink got correct, half the questions he didn't get correct, and that's what I tried to do. I tried to get like half and half, so so you know it wasn't well, like he didn't know anything or he knew everything. This is more like an illustration of how well y'all know each other. <laughs> Actually, I mean, that's, yeah, this is what it is. It's like it's how well we. We we know each other, and uh, that is why I'm highly unsurprised. For example, that uh, Ryan knows Jay Pink, and likewise, I'm not surprised that Matt knows Jay Pink because, after all, they're almost neighbors. <laughs> oh, they live in the same state. They live essentially in the same. The same, I want to say. 25 miles of each other or less you know they're they're close oh, they're like neighbors you, and they're, yeah, yeah depending on yeah i mean like it's basically a 15 minute drive okay yeah, a minute, well yeah good. and and of course me uh i'm weird because i'm thousands of uh, miles away but then i remember little details Okay. Well, that's all we had for the yeah. for the show. I just wanted to do something a little unique, a little interesting, something different. Let's all give Jay Pink a hand for being a good sport. It was it was he he did a good Yay! job. Yay! <laughs> Thank you, John. We need we need to give Jay Pink some more love on the show. So I know. I hope, I hope, and every time we do, was... like sometimes he'll just kick us off in the middle of us talking. Yeah. Uh, you'll you find yourself you know disconnected. How mad I wasn't. I, how mad I was when I couldn't do anything to Shaddix when he was sitting there, like stroking my ego at the beginning of all this. <laughs> <laughs> I always oh, yeah, like or Matt or kick them, <laughs> drop, drop their call when they're doing oh. the same stuff. Oh, you don't, you don't like, yeah, uh, yeah, he, yeah I don't he like always, it. He always cuts their audio. He always makes, cuts their makes me audio. Feel uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I, 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 I empathize. I'm the same way. Yeah. <laughs> I really am. I don't. I don't like that at all, to be honest. So I'm. I. I try. I'll try not to do that again. If but I can tell. I can, uh, I can tell from my show. You. Knowing what I have to put into my show, I. I can tell the amount of effort. And to you, it might be just secondhand, second nature. Now you just do it without even thinking. But I know there's a lot of work that you put in that. So. Um, there's I, so I, much damn I greatly organization that that involved. Yeah. yeah. All right. So now let's go on to some turf stuff. If you guys want to talk about some turf, turf stuff. <laughs> All right. You ready, Demang? Yeah, I'm ready. Um, well, where do I want to start here? Oh, before so, I forget, before I forget, yes. I'm sorry. 
since I'm on here and I have absolutely nothing to promote, I'm going to promote something. Go to my YouTube channel, sign up, Turfgrass Epistemology. Go to my uh, podcast and sign up for my podcast. I have a po- I release podcasts. Um, the, the show is released on podcast the next day as soon as YouTube processes the video, which for some reason seems to take like 12 hours to process. I don't know why. But I load the pod- podcast. It's gaining a little bit more attention. People are starting to watch it. Um, I don't really do a whole lot on Twitter, but you can go to Twitter. And at the end of this month, don't forget, I'll be in North Florida for the Sports uh, Field Manager Association. I'll be giving a lecture on Monday about soil testing. If you want to learn about more about soil testing, come on Monday. And then I'm going to give a lecture with Ryan on uh, is it Thursday morning or something about yep. uh, a little bit about nitrogen sources. He'll be talking about one topic. And then and at the end of the uh, two-hour event, or the last half of the two-hour event, I'll be talking about nitrogen sources and how to blend fertilizer in the most economical uh, way for turf grasses. So before I forget, that's, you know, my plug for the show. What, what platforms are your uh, podcasts on? They're on every podcast that you, that you, that you would ever get. Um, I, I load things onto a central uh, podcast. What do they call it? A podcast, uh, something there's whatever they call there's it. links to the spotify the apple and the google uh okay rss in the video description here in the show description so you can go to turfgrass epistemology slash podbean.com i think that's the website honestly i don't know and then it has everything on there all the links but most people just go to apple um, podcasts or any pod wherever you listen to podcasts there's a really good chance that it's already on there you just search for turfgrass epistemology and it'll pop up I'm really actually surprised, pleasantly surprised that so many people download them and, and watch them. I see the, see the statistics come up. I'm like, well, there's several hundred downloads. And so, I mean, it's worth my time, I guess, to load them up there. I guess people enjoy listening to it in the background or whatever. So I'll, I'll continue to do that as long as people continue to use it. So. Okay. How about no, this? I'm sorry, Ryan. If I didn't we mean to interrupt get, you. If, if we can get an additional hundred subscribers for Shaddix, he will show up to our next live meetup. <laughs> no pressure. Is that in my contract? <laughs> it, it's in the it mail. Now. Okay. Or, or Dr. Shed. We're, we're just going to go ahead and say that. We'll see what shakes out on the other end. But uh, for the time being, just assume I'm lying. But uh, we'll see what we can mm-hmm. work out. That yeah. 100 Dr. new Ooh. subscribers and Shaddix will show up to the next live meetup. Or or he'll just show up for the. He is really uncomfortable. Look the, at the look on his face. Yeah. Well, he'll just show yeah. up for the heck of it because <laughs> because really uh, I can guarantee I can guarantee you that at this meetup we don't talk very much about grass. Okay, yeah. because it is a it's essentially a party that starts on about Tuesday or Wednesday and it keeps on going until Friday morning. Seriously. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'll say I'll say this. I can make exceptions under very rare circumstances, but my head's hitting the pillow almost every night at 10 p.m. Come hell or high water. I mean, it's it's, it's 10 oh. p.m. now, and I'm and I'm trying to stay awake. <laughs> so oh like, oh man, I, I make exceptions oh for, for for some rules, but um, and I don't drink alcohol, so I'm not very fun. Really, Honestly, I'm not that. Fun. Yeah, I don't. I don't oh, really. Drink. You're you're uh, a, you're you're a total you're a total non drinker as well. Wow. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm surprised. Don't, 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 I'm I'm one of the most yeah. boring regular scheduled people you'll ever meet. I don't 
do much nowadays. Once I got married, I changed everything and I'm totally just routine and dad and all that stuff. Now, the people who knew me before I was married don't call in. (laughs) That was a totally different (laughs) life. Understood. Understood. I mean, uh, thankfully, the, the, the people that knew me in my teens and 20s, they're mostly dead. So I don't have to worry. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's something mostly... about the water or something in Hawaii or something about the Pacific area where I, I have, I know I've known several people over the years and some of them quite well. And they're 50 years old and they look like they're 25 or 30. I'm like, what, what, what do you guys put in the water down there? I don't know what it is. It's the sun or the activity or what, but you guys look 20 years younger than you guys, than you normally, I shouldn't say you guys, but the ones that I've known always look much younger than they actually are. Uh, it, it's because Matt can, can attest to this. He says, Asian don't raisin. <laughs> okay. All right. Never heard that one. And, right. and, and, and for example, you know what you said about people looking at least 20 years younger? Mm. You're, not, you're not wrong because uh, this year I will literally be 52. 52, yeah. Well, good for you. But I don't look. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm a Bogart in the show here, but it's 10 o'clock. And yeah. I haven't seen anything about turf. So let's, let's, let's do something fun about turf, I guess. What's All up, right, Ryan? What do you got? Go. All right. So uh, the goal here, again, not tonight, but collectively, you know, the next two, three, four, five, six weeks, whatever it takes, um, mm-hmm. is to, actually take those critical thinking skills and apply them and build out a, uh, a fully fledged, you know, uh, pest control, you know, weeds, diseases, insects, uh, and, uh, fertilizer plan for the average lawn care company in some particular city, right? You know, it's hard to build one out. That's going to, you know, touch everything and, and hit all those things. And we might actually take it, uh, a couple of different directions, especially when we get to pest control and, and say, okay, hey, this night we're going to do something and, you know, and pretend it's in Atlanta. And, you know, the next week we might do and say, hey, this is in Boston, Massachusetts, something like that. But okay. let's just talk about from your perspective. I think the, the, the angle that we were trying to get to is um, making conscientious fertilizer choices based on value. And also from a standpoint of, uh, you know, some of the work that you did on the slow release paper uh, there in Florida and how that might apply to some of the choices and thoughts. Because I know, um, you know, there are situations uh, that you might say that, uh, you know, potentially a slow release product may offer some value uh, and there's other ones that don't and try and maybe walk through that a little bit. So I don't want to bogart your upcoming shows but uh um, with the goal in mind let's let's start with if you were uh sitting across the table from a lawn care person and, and the vast majority of our folks are uh either professionals in you know smaller companies say 10 employees or less or mm-hmm. uh very advanced homeowners so let's think about it from the lawn care aspect from the professional aspect got to turn a profit right has to be yeah. consistent, scalable, repeatable, all those types of things. So mm-hmm. let's start this critical thinking process around 
we have a set of choices right out in front of us. We have distributors, we have things that are being offered to us and at different price points and things like that. So what are some critical thinking, um, evaluative criteria that you'd start to look at? Let's start there when I'm looking well, at okay. different products you're offering. I think the first step one is, I mean, I'm just, this is coming off the top of my head. I'm not, I have no notes on this. Okay. I'm just coming off Good. the top of my head. This is all my opinion. I think step one is to acknowledge that your program is not, a, not is not perfect. No matter what program you're running, there's almost always room for improvement. If you're unable to acknowledge that, it's going to be difficult for me to have a meaningful conversation with you, to have a, some sort of discourse that's going to be beneficial to you. I, I haven't yet found a single program that is flawless. Okay. Doesn't mean yours isn't. But there's a pretty good chance it's not. So in other words, there's a pretty good chance that whatever program you're on, there's room for improvement. So let's start there. As long as you're willing, it's kind of like, you know, therapy. <laughs> you know, you first have to acknowledge you have a problem. First sure. acknowledge that you, you have room for improvement. And so if you're willing to acknowledge and say, hey, you know what, I, I, I'm skeptical about this, or I think I might be, I can stretch this dollar a little further on this. Um, if you're able to do that, then we can have a conversation. So <clears throat> I would say that's step one. Step two would probably be something like, um, either opting in or making decisions only if you have a good reason. So if you're going to start in a fertilizer program, there's usually only one type of person that comes to me. And that is, this is the program I'm using. How can I make it better? Or what can I do? I don't usually mm -hmm. get the other people. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I want to start from scratch. I would actually hope that that's the way we end up going. In other words, in other words, start from scratch and opt in to products rather than start from some Heinz 57 program and start opting out of stuff. That's mm -hmm. harder to do. It's much more difficult to do. So if you start from nothing and you start opting in to products, what criteria do you use for inclusion? And for me, the, the criteria is, do you have a good reason? Is there evidence to support that reason? And I'm speaking specifically of fertilizers, but you can same, do the same thing with any sure. management practice. And that is, can we, is there any evidence to indicate that we can produce the product that we're selling for the, for less money than what we're doing, or what's the what's the least expensive nitrogen source, for example, that will result in the product that I'm trying to sell? It's that simple, mm -hmm. basically. At the end of the day. So, if you're selling a yard, or you're selling a, a football field, or when I say selling, I mean you're producing a product. Sure. Or your job is the fairway, or your job is a sod production, or whatever the case is. At the end of the day, well, let's use a. Uh, I don't know. I, let, let's just use a football field or whatever. At the end of the day, yeah. we're trying to produce a product that is acceptable to the coaches and players and safe and meets NFL standards. And there's a lot well, different categories of athletics have different standards, but mm -hmm. we're trying to produce that product. There's a, there's an infinite way of getting there from nitrogen sources and P and K and all these things. My criteria for inclusion of a product is what is the least expensive source that we can use to achieve that goal? It's basically, it's no more complicated than that. So let me ask that's a, this. That's, 
that's that is a good starting point. Now, the other thing that I think is a starting point is, and I'm curious because of the evidence based approach and the uh, the uh, I will I will call it zero zero based budgeting or program building approach, right? Whereas I'm not going to peel things off of an existing program, right? But rather I'm going to start and justify everything that goes in and make a program mm-hmm. out of that. So mm-hmm. what would be on the other side, the non-negotiables? Wait, let me let me ask it this way: the non-negotiables of things that you should not have in there, right, or cannot have in there, and or what do would you identify as just absurdly wasteful? JPEG well, when is it you absurd? That, it's absurd. Absurdly wasteful things. JPEG texted me or we talked at some point. And he said, well, you're using that, that sound clip. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? What sound clip? And he, <laughs> he, sent, he sent me some link and I watched it. I'm like, oh my God. And everything's it's absurd. It's absurd. It's, it's absurd. Great. It's actually the tone and intonation in your voice, just the absolute disgust and ridicule that you have. And I can't remember what it was that you were talking about. I but, remember. Uh, I remember. I remember. I bet very, you do. I, I was telling. I'll oh, just say that's it right here. the guy that copped your paper. He was the guy that copped your paper, right? No, 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 no. no. He and I are cool. But just so we're clear here, oh, he and I are idea. fine. He, I, I told yeah. him to, hey, give me a call. Let's work it out. He, he signed it up. He, we, he and I met. He paid the the fee. I, I returned the fee. Everything's good there. I don't want to start anything there anymore. So we're good. Oh there. no, 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 no. I get it. This get was it. another guy where um, he was saying, well, we're putting out fertilizer, but don't put it out too early because you don't want the turf grass to take it up too early. I mean, how freaking ridiculous is that? I mean, you have to understand. Drink the alcohol, but don't get hammered yet, please. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) come on, guys. I mean, it's just it's. You have to understand my my. Let's let's let me let me describe my filter, my lens. My entire professional career has been centered around helping turf grass enterprises succeed. Whether it's a homeowner, whether it's a a business, uh fertilizer, whatever it is, I'm here to, to communicate, to, to generate evidence and to communicate that evidence as best I can to the turf grass industry so that we can succeed. We can, we can get better at what we do. And, and for years I've, I've dedicated my life and my career to doing this. And I sometimes think, oh, I'm, I'm having an impact. I'm doing well. And then I see a YouTuber with, you know, half a million views saying stuff like that. And I realize I'm not doing anything. He he's having much more of an impact than I ever have in the last twenty years on one video, and he's saying stuff that's completely contrary to the body of evidence. It's, it's extremely absurd. depressing to me. Yeah, it's absurd. <laughs> it, that, that's, <laughs> that's the, the same way. Get animated. I get animated because it's like, man, how many years do I have to put in before I feel like I'm actually making a difference? Because you get going, you get going, you get going, and all of a sudden, some you know, somebody on YouTube puts out a video and, or somebody on wherever the case is. And you see some of these YouTube videos on turf have millions of views. And I'm just like, Oh my, and it's fine. That's fine. Hey, do it. Get your money. You capitalize on no problem. My, my interest is to communicate what is true. I want, I want to do the best I can to generate the model of turf grass science based upon the evidence, based upon what is reality and true. Not, not making, uh, not capitalizing on misinformation or, or, or just outright lies. 
that's where mm. I get really frustrated, you know? So I just, you know, anyway. Um, so where would uh, I start? The question was, yeah. where would I start about in sources or something? What was it? I'm sorry. Uh, the, what, question, what, the question, uh, was, what would I rule would out? Exclude? What would I rule out? Yeah. Like off the yeah. cuff. No, no yeah. questions about it. Non-negotiable. We're not going to do yeah. that or things that people are maybe doing often that yeah. you see, you know, in professional yeah. log here that you should probably think about that because the evidence suggests otherwise. Yeah. That's good. Oh, thanks for giving me the platform to do, to answer that question. Um, there are, I would prefer to rule everything out and then opt in for evidence. It makes the, <laughs> it makes the whole process easier. <laughs> it makes no, but, this whole but how process. Do you, okay. Help people but understand you, and maybe frame some things that they, that they probably do that you see that are off used techniques, yeah. oh products, yeah, practices, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm okay. I mean, it's, it, I, I get it. I just, I, I, you know, I just want to make sure we're clear. Zero everything out and just opt in when you have evidence. But if you're going to, the majority, but like I said at the beginning, no one comes to me with that question. Usually it's, I have this program. How can I remove things and make it better or whatever? It's just a very similar question to what you're asking. So certain things that can be eliminated. And when I'm speaking here, I understand it's coming from Dr. Shaddix or whatever. I get that. But I'm going to speak pragmatically. So anybody scientifically wants to throw some stuff up and be, you know, picky about it, uh, forget it. I'm speaking pragmatically. I get there's some rare case on some other planet in another distant universe that this could possibly happen. I get that. Okay. But pragmatically speaking, these are things that can be eliminated. Almost, as you can tell from my last uh, month in, on my channel, almost every form of granular iron can be eliminated entirely. It's certainly Amen. iron sulfate. Yeah, certainly iron Amen. sulfate. <laughs> Definitely iron oxide, for sure. <laughs> Eliminate it completely. And you, and you guys say, well, um, well, it's not that much. Or, a lot of times problem, the problem is, well, how do I get it eliminated? How do I remove it? You have to go find a blender or find a bag that doesn't have it in it. I get that. But is it really going to save me that much money? Well, if you're, if you're not concerned about removing it because it's only going to save you 25, 30 cents a bag or whatever, well, then just give me the 25 or 30 cents a bag and I'll take it if you're not that concerned about it. I mean, you know, people <laughs> price bags, you should be pricing by the pound of N really price per bag is to me useless, but price per pound of nitrogen or, or, or price per acre of nitrogen, however you want to do it, but based upon the amount of N is really the, the fair and balanced way to do it. Um, but anyway, remove all nitrogen, remove all iron. Sorry, remove all iron from the fertilizer. There, there are some rare cases. I get that where chelated granular sources may have some chance. And there are even very, very rare cases where iron sulfate might have something, but they're exceedingly, exceedingly rare. So eliminate iron completely. Anything else in terms of micronutrients that could be possibly valuable to you are so rarely encountered it you might as well just eliminate all micronutrients there's there's a case to be made for manganese i get that but i mean the the chances of you seeing a response to manganese are probably equal to the negative responses that you would see from manganese in other words you might see a positive response possibly i've i've been, i've found it i've documented a positive response to manganese but i've also documented equally uh equal responses or negative responses to manganese so, you know, I'm not going to argue over manganese. It's possible you could see a response, but I would eliminate it. And so what else is left in the micronutrients? Boron, zinc, molybdenum, copper. You're not going to see a response to that stuff. There's, there's almost no chance, pragmatically speaking, there's almost zero chance you're going to see a response to the granular forms of those micronutrients. Almost never. 
in the foliar lines, in the foliar lines, there is an extremely high probability of seeing a, a response to foliar iron as long as it's soluble. There's also a decent chance of seeing a response to foliar manganese. Not great, but you know, it's not so low that I would eliminate it. I wouldn't put it on the automatically eliminate list is what you're asking me for. So iron and manganese, there's a pretty good chance manganese and un- very high chance of iron. Almost no chance of seeing a response to magnesium. Almost no chance of seeing a response to any other micronutrients. Almost never. So what my point is that you could eliminate all those micronutrients full stop from granular and foliar. And then if you see something happen that's a little off, a little off color, or you see some documented case, then you can add it in, no problem. And those micronutrient deficiencies, almost every nutrient deficiency, is very rapidly overcome following the application of that element. Take phosphorus, for example. If you have a phosphorus deficiency, it's very rapidly cured by applying phosphorus. A matter of days, a week maybe. Okay, it's not like the turf is going to die because it's a lack of phosphorus. Under, under, under normal deficiencies, if, you have, if you're so severe, that's maybe a little bit different. But under normal deficiencies, Nutrients, uh, uh, the application of nutrients will rapidly cure whatever you're seeing in terms of physiological deficiencies. Okay. Dr. Stax, so I can say, I push on you about uh, magnesium? Uh, well, sure. Feel free. I, Remember, you're not pushing I, back against me, you're pushing back against the body of evidence. The uh, <laughs> number of, of people, myself included, that have heard the old wives' tale of uh, Epsom salt. Uh, dissolve it in your sprayer and go spray your lawn. It'll turn it green. Um, I have sprayed several different turf types with magnesium sulfate and have definitively seen a response from that. Is it, mm-hmm. why Why would you say that magnesium is highly unlikely to elicit uh, a response? Because the decades of research following magnesium applications, both granular and foliar, have convinced me that the chances of seeing response are well lower, well less of 5%. Very, very low chance of seeing response. Now, it's just like sodic soils. You have zero chance of seeing a positive response to following the application of calcium sulfate to a soil that's not sodic. Okay. But if you happen to be in a location where 50% of your lawns are sodic, then you're going to see a high chance, a high, high um, um, probability of seeing a response following calcium sulfate because most of your lawns are sodic. So the reason I'm saying that about magnesium is you might be in some situation that is extremely rare, like sodic soils are very rare, except for in some parts of the United States and the upper Northwest. But you might be in some strange situation where magnesium is deficient in this particular location for some odd reason. Okay, that could happen. Uh, but it, but in the literature, uh, soil pH does soil pH have an influence over uh, a, a visual response of applying foliar magnesium? I didn't understand your question. So, for instance, uh, I, uh, I sprayed a fair amount of it when I was in Augusta, Georgia. So we're we're talking, you know, pretty uh, pretty low pHs there. Um, do you think soil pH has an influence over whether or not you'll see a visual response from foliar magnesium sulfate? Well, I mean, within normal pH ranges, probably it has the impact is pretty minimal. Well, my question to you is, how do you know it's from magnesium? 
I mean, if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna come to me and say I see a response from magnesium sulfate, I'm gonna come to you and say, how do you know it was from magnesium? Uh, it was the only thing That's applied. Magnesium okay. sulfate. How do you know it was from the magnesium? Because uh, good point. <laughs> good point. Touche. Okay, because uh, likewise, I've seen situations where magnesium sulfate is purported to have a positive you know, color response on turf and ornamentals. I then push back extremely hard on that, and I ask, are you sure it's the magnesium, or are you actually getting a response because you're supplying soluble sulfur? Yeah, right. Now, let because... me expand that just a little bit here. There, there's this ongoing, for decades, sort of, I don't want to say it's ignorant. It's not ignorant. I mean, I don't want to say ignorant. That's too strong a word, but just sort of miss, uh, not complete comprehension of the value of ammonium sulfate. People apply ammonium sulfate and they see this really magnified color, right? <laughs> Particularly against urea or even in some cases, ammonium nitrate, even calcium nitrate, mm. where they see this, man, that's really got dark. And sometimes people think it's because it's a lowering of pH. But you still see the same response even when the pH was already low. And what I'm trying to get people to understand is you're applying two necessary macronutrients in ammonium sulfate, nitrogen and sulfate, and two necessary macronutrients in magnesium sulfate. Magnesium and sulfate. <clears throat> to determine whether it's from the magnesium versus the sulfate, you have to use magnesium chloride. Or you have to balance out the sulfate with, say, calcium sulfate or something else in the study. So what I'm saying is when we properly balance these things out in science, meaning when we go out and we do a study with magnesium, we account for the counter-ion. And when we do that, the documented responses from magnesium are nowhere near as common in the literature as you might think. Not that common. Okay, and we're talking magnesium levels in the soil of malic 3, you know, anywhere above 30 or 40 malic 3. If you get down in the teens, Matt, well, do you know the soil, the magnesium, mega 3 magnesium of the soils from the turf grass that you were applying that to? Because if you're down in the teens, and we got another conversation to have. I honestly cannot yeah. remember, and this was over a decade ago. Yeah, well, they may not even have been using mega 3. They, you know, so who knows? But the mega 3 uh, uh, magnesium level is not very well established. We don't know for sure what it is. but if I was to give you a number, it's probably somewhere around the 20 to 30 number. So if you're below that value and you're seeing a, a magnesium deficiency in the turf grass, or you say you've seen a response to magnesium when you applied it, then it's possible there's a magnesium deficiency. But if your magnesium is anywhere, anywhere near 40, 50 or higher, the chances of you seeing a magnesium response is extremely low. Now, I've documented, as you saw on my channel, or if you haven't watched it, I have. I don't know where it was. It was, uh, oh, well, we're here. It's three days ago. We applied magnesium sulfate to St. Austin grass over two years in two locations. And we did see, in granular and foliar, and we did see a response to magnesium sulfate even when the soil pH or the soil uh, magnesium level was greater than 60 or 70, we still saw response. Is at the very, very end of a two-year study, 
and we saw the, the foliar magnesium sulfate have a little bit of a bump, bump up. So it can happen. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying that the chances of it happening are pretty low. And one more question. Do you think any of that is turf type dependent? So um, I always felt like I got the strongest response on centipede grass versus other uh, warm season yeah. turf types. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. Uh, I, I have to kind of uh, relate my experiences that I often tell people, for the love of God, whatever you do, please do not apply any magnesium sulfate to your soil i tell them please don't do it because here locally our magnesium levels are pushing 150 to 200 all right i tell people i don't give a damn who told you to do it but please don't do it because we have more than enough magnesium and what has worked for me is application of what's known as micronized sulfur. Micronized what? Micronized sulfur is sulfur. Micronized sulfur. And micronized sulfur is normally sold as a fungicide and miticide for grapes and fruit trees. However, it's also utilized for direct application as a corrective for sulfur deficiency. So here's the thing about this micronized sulfur. For many years, I've known that applying micronized sulfur to the soil will get a lot of plants greener because it is addressing the sulfur deficiency. I mean, that's uh, and and that's something that I often have to caution people about because I keep on seeing this in various, you know, magazines and media public consumes. Everybody is told to apply magnesium sulfate to the plant. I mean, I keep on seeing that. And I tell people, don't do it because if you overdosed on Magnesium by an application of magnesium sulfate, you can very well create this phenomena that I've seen of displacement of the other cations. And yeah. specifically, you can start to displace potassium and calcium by excessive magnesium application. Yeah, certainly the application of, of cations, particularly you know, double charge cations like magnesium and calcium and so forth can can change the concentration of other cations in the soil for sure. But I want I, I want to go back, if I may, to what Matt said. You know, I've I've been putting this out and I saw a response. This happens a lot, where, and this is uh, something I'm hesitant to do about showing people how to do this correctly because I. Don't, <laughs> thing, but but when whenever someone's convinced that this this happened, I put this out and this happened. It's not easy to explain to them or convince them that what they saw is not what they saw. 
Okay, let me let me explain what I'm talking about. Just because the crow or the rooster crowed and the sun came up does not mean that the rooster crowing caused the sun to come up. Does that make sense? Oh, and it's, it, makes, it's, it makes total sense. Makes yeah, total it, sense. It, I mean, it, attribute the correct effect to the correct cause. I mean, that's, uh, I guess, your point is attribute the correct uh, effect to the correct cause. And this also, you know, I know you've talked about this before, about the importance of separating out what you're actually getting a response from. Because I remember the first time you came on our show and you put up that uh, little uh, you know, study where you had that uh, sulfur deficiency in the turf grass. Right? Yep. And yeah. you know, that just kind of brought it home to me. And uh, if it were me, Dr. Shaddix, what I probably would have done to tease out the sulfur deficiency is I would have actually have applied micronized sulfur to that plot. Oh, yeah, that would have cured no, the problem within a day. Yeah, no, con <laughs> yeah no, no, no confounding, you know, or confusing factors, you know, present. Because if somebody puts down potassium sulfate, for example, they can easily say, see, the potassium sulfate made the grass greener. Or they put down magnesium sulfate and they say, oh, see, the magnesium sulfate made the grass greener. No. It was the sulfate, the soluble sulfur that did it. <laughs> well, to be, well, it, 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 may, it may have been. Is, uh, it, it may I, have been. I, time, I was trying to uh, magically balance the soil of perfect ratios of calcium to magnesium at the time, too. So uh, <laughs> you do that, was, what? that was why I was applying so much just magnesium sulfate. Oh, really? Thought oh, I could so crack the code to growing centipede in Augusta, Georgia, by mysteriously uh, hitting these uh, uh, special ratios. Oh, Matt, really? Do you know what? Do you know what I do to make uh, centipede grass perform for me, Matt? Uh, stop doing anything to it. Just cut it. Yeah. Basically. And apply a pound of micronized sulfur per thousand square foot per month of growing season. Yeah, but in Augusta, pHs were already like you know five, five two, so um, it wasn't it wasn't high on my priority list. I was I was caught up in magic ratios and balancing the soil. Mm, right, well, right, right, right. That's uh, I, I, that's I the. Don't uh, go, <laughs> I don't want to go too far away from the other side of the coin on Matt's observation. Is that I'm not saying that what Matt observed was not from the magnesium. I'm not saying he didn't observe it. I'm not saying it didn't happen because of the magnesium. I'm not saying it did happen because of the sulfate. I'm not saying any of that. I'm simply saying that when someone is convinced that this is what happened, it's very challenging to 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 educate them or or, or teach them about critical thinking skills to so that they can come up with the 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 thought process themselves and go, Oh, maybe it wasn't that because if I tell them it was this or it was that I could be wrong. I don't know. I wasn't there. And it's not easy for them to accept that from someone else. Usually it's, it's easier for them to accept it if they come up on the, with their own or in their own process. So what I'm saying is the other side of the coin is Matt could be right. 
maybe he did see a response to magnesium and I don't, and it's not my uh, position to refute him and say, nope, nope, you didn't, it wasn't the magnesium. It wasn't that. Cause I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't apply it. I don't know what you did or didn't do. I have no clue. The only thing, and, and the reason I'm saying that is because that's the critical thinking process to some degree is that I have to rely upon the evidence, not anecdotes. And it's the anecdotes that kind of get us bent on the left field and it really starts to convince us. Okay, the whole, I've been going over pH the last, or it was on Wednesday when I pH the pH diagram. There's hundreds and hundreds, about thousands of people that are convinced this pH diagram is valid. It's going to take generations to get them off this idea. Okay, that pH diagram is useful. It's not useful. We need to stop using it. But to tell them that isn't going to be near as effective as to teach them the critical thinking skills to, to come up with the re- reality, re- you know, the realization on their own through the you know through the, the scientific literature. This is what the evidence says. It doesn't mean that Matt was wrong, and it doesn't mean that I'm right. It just means that the the probability that Matt putting out magnesium sulfate in Augusta, Georgia, and seeing a beneficial turf grass response to the magnesium is probably not very good. But I don't know. He could be right. Like I said, he could be that one location or two locations that's low in magnesium. He has magnesium concentrations in the teens, and he needs to apply magnesium. So I just want to make sure that's clear. I'm not saying you're wrong. Okay, and I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just, I mean, I'm, it's, the, it's the thought process. Oh, I applied another macronutrient with that. How do I know? Right. I that's, think that's you, you highlighted a good point there that I'm still doing correlation equals causation, right? And that's that's a fallacy. Yeah. So uh, I did yeah. not take into account sulfate, which is that's that's on me. In all the eighties through the seventies, in the eighties and the nineties, really you know, for the majority of our lives, except for the last twenty years, we hadn't we didn't need to worry about that. You could put all the sulfur you wanted and it would have never caused a, a resulted in a response. Because we, there was so much acid rain coming down, the sulfur and the rain, it, we, we didn't need to do that anymore. But since we've cleaned it up, the sulfur dep- depositions have plummeted drastically. And sulfur doesn't hang around in the soil like iron does or manganese does. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't stay where it was put. So these depositions over the decades, even though they've been deposited over the decades, doesn't mean they're still there. Since they've been cleaned up, the depositions have been um, reduced and the soil sulfur have been reduced. And this is going to be the next, I think, the next major addition to the BMP manuals is the understanding of sulfur deficiencies because it is so much more prevalent now than, than it ever really has been in our lifetime. Okay. And I even mean that to you, Ray, <laughs> even in your lifetime. Okay. It, it, you, you just you didn't have to worry about it recently. The interesting thing is, is that I realized that globally, there's been this push to clean up you know atmospheric emissions from man-made sources and so how you can wonder how the heck i am on a dormant volcano and there's no sulfur in the soil but you know what it happens and it is an emergent problem and actually i've been aware of this since the 1990s and, the re- and what made me aware is, again, I observed the difference between applying nitrogen as urea versus yeah. applying nitrogen as AMS. Yeah. And I'm very well aware that 
It's right there on the ammonium sulfate bag. On the tag, it says 2100-24. And you know what the 24 is, of course. 24% <laughs> sulfur, more, right? <laughs> there's more sulfur in it yeah. than there is nitrogen. Yeah, so, there's more sulfur in it. Of, and, yeah. Yeah. Now, and, the and ironic so, thing is a, a lot of the ammonium sulfate that's generated, from Matt probably knows this, at least some of the ammonium sulfate that's generated and used as fertilizers are byproducts of the of the cleaning process itself from from the large towers. Right, some of the some of the ones we put out comes from those. Thank towers. you, honey. Yeah, I, I know that uh, a lot of the AMS is acquired via the uh, scrubbers used to remove the sulfur yeah. dioxide emissions from. Uh, industrial plants i mean that's the yeah. Yeah. that's the process is that they capture that and then they yeah. react it and then it eventually mm-hmm. becomes ammonium sulfate and so the what we used to get falling out of the sky every time it rained or snowed uh guess what we now gotta buy it <laughs> yeah <laughs> right well that's yeah, that's basically back to your question, Ryan. Is your 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 interest or whatever? What can we eliminate? I I, I don't see any point in putting out any micronutrients unless you have a documented deficiency that's that's being shown as a physiological issue from the turf. So if the turf grass itself is showing a physiological deficiency in micronutrients, then I would I would apply it. Otherwise, I think you can do without it and save that money. When it comes to the other components of granular fertilizer or even liquid fertilizer. Um, I don't think you can completely get rid of magnesium. You probably you probably could be fine. I don't think you could completely get rid of manganese, but probably could, and you'd be fine. Um, then it comes into the you know the N, P, and K. So the N, obviously, we're never going to get rid of that really, unless somebody invents some way to create a, like a clover turf hybrid or something. I mean, that's <laughs> we're going to have to be applying <laughs> nitrogen for a while. Um, but a lot of the phosphorus can be eliminated. A lot of it. I would. I definitely would not put it on the do not apply no matter what list. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is, is that in m- many, many cases, uh, we overapply phosphorus, either applying more than we need. Uh, maybe we need some, but we're applying too much, or we just don't need any and we're still applying it full stop. In fact, I sent out that little um, thing on Twitter a day or two ago about you know, the phosphorus level, if soil phosphorus level is zero, would you apply phosphorus? And a lot of people will say, yes, I would apply phosphorus. And I'm saying the, the the phosphorus test is wrong. If your turf grass is fine and the phosphorus level is zero, the turf grass test or the turf test, the soil test is wrong. So there's this concept, again, this this indoctrination, I think, of years of doing the same thing the same way. Uh, we applied phosphorus, we applied, you know, potassium. And, you know, I see these responses. Well, if you're applying it with nitrogen, how do you know? How do you know you're getting the value or the response that you think you're seeing from the phosphorus when you're applying it with nitrogen or from the potassium when you're applying with nitrogen. So I, I, I'm not putting phosphorus on the do not apply list. That's far from what I'm saying. I'm just simply saying that we can probably do by with much, much less. And in some cases, complete elimination of phosphorus. And when it comes to potassium is the same holds true. You, you have a very little chance of seeing any beneficial response from applying potassium. I'm not saying take it off the, or putting on, put it on the no apply list. I'm not saying that at all. There's clearly cases where you need it. Um, but I think we overapply phosphorus and potassium. We could do by and produce the same product, like the beginning of the conversation tonight. You know, we're producing a product 
we're selling a product. How can we do that for the least amount of money and gain the most margin? That's what I'm trying. That's what I would deem to be the most effective program. How can I make the most money back from the, you know, to produce the product? And I think we can make more money by applying less phosphorus, less potassium, and we're still going to pr- produce the same product that we were applying before in many cases. In the cases where you might not, let's say you, you do need to apply the same level of phosphorus or you, need, you, you lower it down or you lower the potassium down, you go, whoops, I lowered it too much. Recovery from phosphorus deficiency is very fast. Recovery from potassium deficiency is fast. It's not in the matter of months. It's a matter of days or maybe a week. So in other words, you can lower that line down quite a bit and probably not see anything change in your turf grass. And if you do, add a little phosphorus back in the, in the blend. The next application, add a little potassium back in the blend. The next application would be fine. So if we're talking about efficient programs, um, turf grass programs, that's sort of a bullet point approach. I don't know if you were able to, I don't know if you had to step away or not, or not but. No, 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 you're good. Uh, I, and so on the, on the, on that front of, I know you've talked about a bit about this, not a bit, but you've talked about this at length, some of these topics on your own channel. But in the in a shortly framed answer, what are the situations that do warrant including phosphorus specifically, potassium specifically, in a commercial lawn care program? Yeah. So now you're 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 just lobbing these softballs up for me to just knock out of the park. We <laughs> I like these are really easy <laughs> questions. But you need we need to do this on my channel. Yeah. Okay. So it's, these are fun. Wait, wait, wait. We can, we can do that. And I mean, you, you put me on the spot with all the J pink answers. I gotta, I gotta oh. you know, return the favor here. <laughs> so here, you know, here's my take and I, I get the other side of the coin. So I'm going to say this and I get the other side. Okay. I'll, we can discuss the other side too. I don't, I'm not in favor of applying any element unless I have a good reason, period. It, it's, it's, it would be earth shattering me to change my position on that if somebody came to me and showed me evidence that my position is flawed it would it would change my world okay so it, i'm what i'm saying is it, i'm very convinced that this is the, the correct approach add things in when you have a good reason so w- the question is what are the good reasons to include phosphorus and potassium for me the first and the first priority and the, the where your uh where your energy should be focused is on the turf grass response, and I get the I get the the mass you know applications of of fertilizers to you know four hundred units. I get it. We can't look at every lawn, da, 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 and we have to look at individual. I I understand that. Okay, I get that. Fair. You 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 need to, in my view, look at well if if you ha- if you can classify lawns by young and old lawns. Sometimes they differ. If you have some sort of delineation between these lawns, where you know that these this newer community with newer soils and newer turf grasses requires more nutrients than this older community then it's easy to separate out if if you know if not you need to kind of look at your overall portfolio and just and determine do i need are 50 percent or more of my lawns deficient in phosphorus okay well if so then maybe we should include phosphorus in the whole program you see what i'm saying but if mm-hmm. If you only have five or ten percent of the lawns that are deficient in phosphorus, and you're paying for phosphorus and applying it to the other ninety, that's an area for improvement. Okay, when I say deficient, I mean the turf grass is showing 
a deficiency in phosphorus. It's showing a purpling of the, of the, of the, of the, of the leaf blade. And you have to understand mm -hmm. this does happen, but it's not that common. I mean, it, it ha I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. It happens. It happens far more frequently with phosphorus than it does with potassium. That's for sure. So it, it, it can occur. Yeah. But if you're, if you're, if your turf grasses are growing fine and everybody's happy, I don't see a whole lot of evidence to support including phosphorus and paying for phosphorus to put it out. I just don't, I just don't see that. So the, the commercial, the logistics of commercial lawn care, it's, it's company to company. I mean, if you have 2000 units versus 50, we're dealing with two different scales here. Okay. I mean, I, I you know, the, it's not a one size fit all for every lawn care company. I get that. Mm -hmm. So. You're going to have, we're going to have to address that on a, on a company by company situation. But in, in, in general, I wouldn't apply any phosphorus unless there is a documented phosphorus deficiency in the turf grass. And you can take a soil test and determine whether or not it's phosphorus, or you can spray out some phosphorus and you'll see a response in three or four days. It's not going to take that long. Soldot's done this a number of times. He goes out there and sprays oh, yeah. a pea on his turf grass and he'll, you'll see a big pea out there. And it, it's not like it's months later. It's just a week later. You'll see a P out there. So just, in other, the point is, is that it's easy to document, it's easy to diagnose, and it's easy to alleviate. It's rapid. Nutrient deficiencies, particularly phosphorus and potassium, it's not a cataclysmic event. It's not like, oh my God, the potassium's low and I'm going to lose 500 customers because of potassium. <laughs> that doesn't have, it's not, that's not the case. You might lose 500 customers for something else, but it's not because potassium was deficient. If the, if the potassium is deficient, Add in about, let's say you use a, let's say you use 4600, just say it's straight up 4600. The next application, the next round you do, just split it with K and apply a 30015 or whatever. You see what I'm saying? Apply half the, half the rate of nitrogen. Apply, apply the, let's say you apply one pound of N, you apply one or half a pound of K, put it out and you're done. It'll, it'll respond quickly. And the odds are when you've seen a potassium deficiency are so remote. It's, embarrassing to even talk well, about. you're just not going to see well, potassium deficient it's very rare see, unless you're in 100 sand soils or low cc soils and you're high rainfall i mean i was in south florida where it's hunt it's beach sand and we're getting 65 inches of rain a year our, our potassium is in the 20s and i still couldn't find a potassium deficiency down there i mean that's the worst that's one of the worst case scenarios you can get hot wet rain sand and low low retention soils and i still couldn't get it, the soils the, the turf grass to get low enough to see a potassium deficiency. In fact, Dr. Snyder and Cesar did that study down there and they intentionally leached the soil with water and removed the tissue for a year just to get the soil low enough such that the turf grass would actually show a potassium deficiency. They had to do it on purpose. It's it not easy to, to see. You, had, you have to intentionally do something screwy. And again, I'm talking about the general, general case. Just like I mentioned the sodic soils. I'm never going to see a response to sodic reclamation in Florida because there's no sodic soils in Florida. So, you know, I'm talking about in general, you have to go to that. If you happen to be that one lawn that has sodic soils, then so be it. If you happen to be that one lawn that has very, very low K or that one location in South Carolina that has very, very low K, then that's different. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about sort of in general. Okay. In general. Yeah. And yeah, I was, uh, Listening with great interest, for example, on your position on pH management. You know, I was, I was listening to that very 
with great interest because here's where and why I would alter pH. My purpose for a reason for altering pH is specifically to liberate certain cations. And the cations that I would want to liberate, for example, are calcium. And because when you liberate calcium, then I don't need to apply gypsum because I also know that gypsum has rather limited solubility and mobility in soil. You can spread that and you'll still see it on the soil surface months later. It hasn't gone down. I rather solubilize and mobilize existing calcium in the soil. And I'm speaking to that condition of needing to reclaim a sodic soil. Because, at least in my area, a sodic soil is often high calcium as well. I've got all the calcium I need in that soil. Why would I need to spread gypsum on top of an already calcium-rich soil? when I've got all I need already there. <laughs> well, you might be conflating two things there, Ray. I mean, you, you can have high calcium in a sodic soil. It's not the calcium that we're um, using to reclaim sodic soils. It's the sulfate. Not necessarily. It's the displacement of ions. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter if you displace it. If it can't bind with sulfate and be leached out, it's still going to stay in the soil. It's the sulfate. It's the solubility of sulfate Bind with sodium. It's that sodium sulfate solubility mm -hmm. is why it's able to bind and be leached out. It's and it doesn't occur with sodium carbonate. So it's okay. it's, the, it's the counter ion. It it is the displacement of ions from the calcium, but it's just you're, you're it's, familiar it's with also the counter ions. With, you're familiar with how I, I frequently use alternative acids to achieve that solubility. Well, you can use an acid. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know what you're using for an acid, if, but you can use acids to increase the solubility. Yeah. But I, I was just speaking yeah. that about the need for sulfate. It's not just the calcium. The cal high calcium it w can and will exist in sodic soils. That's very common. And, it, and it, it's not going to do anything in terms of the alleviation of the sodium because the sodium is still going to remain in the root zone. It's only yes, by the way, when another, another anion comes in that can bind with sodium that has a different solubility at that specific mm -hmm. pH that can then bind and then leach, be leached through the root zone that you would see because, as an alleviation. By the way, the sodium. do you know what, what sodium compound is extremely soluble in water? Extremely soluble. And leachable. Sodium citrate. Okay. Okay. Sodium what citrate. Do you use that for? No, what I'm talking what about is I generate. That oh, is the ion that I'm leaching. Yeah, citric acid. That's how I typically rapidly correct sodic soil is I flush with citric acid. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I haven't really looked into that. I don't know how that would 
work, but maybe maybe it would. Yeah, I, I don't know much about how citric acid would, would bind with sodium and do that. I'd have to look into it. But well, it, it's because citric. It's because citric acid, when you put that on a soil like that, what does it do? It forms sodium citrate extremely quickly with whatever sodium carbonate or sodium bicarbonate is present in that soil. Am I right? It ha- the well, reaction you, happens f- fast. Yeah, let, let's assume that that's true. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let's assume it's true. How much would that cost mm-hmm. relative to using gypsum instead? How much would that cost? I mean, if you're going to alleviate okay. a sodic soil, if you're going to, if you, if mm-hmm. that's your intention, is to alleviate a sodic soil, how mm-hmm. how would applying citric acid be more? We're talking about a cost-effective program. That's a, that's what we're talking about tonight. The, the, developing a program that's cost-effective. How would using citric acid be more favorable cost-wise than using gypsum to achieve the same goal? Time and labor. Time and labor. Dr. Shaddix. Okay. Time, labor, and transport of materials. You see where I'm getting at? The volume of, he's saying the volume of gypsum required to complete that process versus citric acid. I think that's what he's saying. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying because I personally have had egg on my face trying to reclaim sodic soil with gypsum extremely disappointed with the results that i got when doing what people told me to do and apply gypsum i mean i had to call bullshit on the whole thing because it didn't work it didn't work okay (laughs) i mean whereas i flush with a pound of citric acid per thousand square foot and I get correction of the issue. Okay. And that correction is in the form of a, how shall I say, a rather distinctive visual response. You can see changes in the turf grass and the plants. (laughs) You know, and they're positive changes. They're good changes. (laughs) Whereas pallets of gypsum failed to achieve that positive response <laughs> where I get more out of uh, 50 pounds of food grade anhydrous citric acid. So that's, uh, that's just, you know, my, my, my thought on it. And of course, uh, if we want to talk about actually generating sodium sulfate out of our sodium cations then in that case I go directly to citric to sulfuric acid. I go so, directly to sulfuric. <laughs> back to this plan, right? This this cost effective plan. Uh, Dr. Shax, let me ask you this. You kind of alluded a little bit to this, but to to make sure we kind of complete the circle here. Mm-hmm. If I was a lawn care operator and and again the evidence suggested whether it be visual or through a soil test or both that I have, you know, healthy turf, right, visually, or I have sufficient levels of phosphorus and potassium, right? Okay. No. 
Let me see. That. What's that? No, 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 what? no, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not what? saying I'm not... one or the other. That's not what I'm saying at all. Okay, what are you saying? I, I don't. I'm saying I don't. I don't give two flips what your soil test values are, unless you have a unless you have a turf grass problem. I don't care. Okay, so so visually, if, okay, you, so if, only visually. if you don't have a turf grass problem or you don't have a pre-existing condition, mm-hmm. what do I care what your numbers are? I don't care. I think I think people have this concept that we should be taking soil tests all the time and we should be looking at our values, our numbers all the time and seeing how they change all the time. And then the second something gets out of whack, they go out there and they try to throw a bunch of stuff at it. Meanwhile, it's fine. I mean, it's fine. There's We don't have that much confidence in these values, guys and girls. The phosphorus number somewhere probably between 10 and 20. But soul dot seen numbers down in sixes and, well, not sixes, sevens. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's there's values greater than twenty that are in are, that are uh, deficient or insig- insufficient. Okay, we sometimes we need greater than that value for twenty in some in some rare situations. But I I don't I do not in any way want to condone the application of particularly phosphorus, but also calcium or potassium, simply by looking at a number on a soil test. Okay, so we, fair we, enough. We so don't. Then- we don't pay our bills on soil test values. We pay our bills on producing a product that is turf. That's what we pay our bills on, and that's what we should keep focused on. The soil test is a is a tool that can be used occasionally to help diagnose problems with our product, and our product is turf. So the the question I was going to get to then is this is. What would be help people understand, right? From a plant performance standpoint, is this if okay? Visually, we see no need to apply. All right, and I'm with you there. I I hear what you're saying. And if they just apply to that particular case that there's no problem, nitrogen only, right? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that people maybe have a misconception that the turf is ultimately going to fail. It's going to crash and burn. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Oh, I, I believe what, you. What would I'm happen? One hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. That's probably exactly what they think. This can't possibly uh-huh. get by with just nitrogen, can it? There's no way. I'm putting out NP and K. I'm putting out whatever. I'm putting out 15515 for the last several years. It's, like it's yeah. I need this yeah. extra. Yeah, I need this extra K for this winter stress and this summer stress and all this other stress. I need. I just can't possibly get by with just nitrogen. Yes, it can. It can get by with just nitrogen. Very, very fine. And 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 I'm and I'm not talking about cases where there's documented deficiencies. If there's documented deficiencies, we have elements to cure those deficiencies. But in many cases, applying urea, ammonium sulfate, sulfur-coated urea, get you by just fine. You don't, you don't need to go out there and do all this other, you know, P and K and micronutrients and stuff unless you have a deficiency in those elements. And the deficiency is very rapidly cured in many, many cases. It's not like, oh, I'm going to get deficient. It's going to take me four months to grow out of that. It's usually not the way the way it is. It's usually something that can be remedied very quickly if there's ever any issues. So now, so, okay, so then taking that taking that next leap, okay. Yeah. So I do see issues, right? Whether yeah. I'm I'm coming into a, a new situation and we can talk about that. I think we talked a little bit about that on our previous show, but let's say that I have a yeah. lawn that I've been maintaining for a while. Yeah. A couple, two, three, four years, whatever. And I do notice something, hey, something's not right. This isn't 
you know, responding the same way it did to nitrogen only applications, what would be the mm. process to then uh, troubleshoot? Let's use that word, right? Or well, identify the problem. How would you go about that? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess it just depends. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard for me to think. I, I, I would need to think like from somebody else's perspective, I think. I mean, I can tell you how I do it, but how I do it won't work for sure. most people because they don't, they don't do what I do for a living, you know. Um, okay. But if, if you are applying nitrogen and um, it's growing fine and suddenly you know, one season you're out there applying nitrogen and it doesn't grow fine or something's not looking right or whatever the case might be. I, where do you go? What sort of priorities do you check off, I guess? Mm-hmm. And I had a, um, somewhere, I don't know if I still have it. I had a uh, dichotomous key that I use. Or I have a dichotomous key that I use. If I would have known you asked that question, I would have had it ready to go that I kind of use to check off. And so, the first thing I look at when I show up at a facility, if there's a problem and they're applying something, is I look at the water. Okay. I look to see if there's any trees. I look to see what side, side of the turf grass the tree is growing. If it's growing on the north side of the, of the lawn or the south side of the lawn. Is it a two-story mm-hmm. house on the south side of the lawn or is it on the north side of the lawn? Is the, is the stadium, you know, 100 feet high and crammed in tight like, like Florida field or is it spread all over creation like, you know, the Tennessee field? In other words, where's the shade? Where's the shadows? Is, is, is there anything that I need to be aware of regarding light? Mm-hmm. So water, light, there's not much I can do about temperature, but I need to be aware of the temperature. I mean, am I talking, am I looking at this facility in November in mm-hmm. uh, North Florida on Bermuda grass or am I looking at it in November in, you know, Tennessee on bluegrass or something? I mean, I, I'm looking at sure seeing what is going on with the temperature so i look at these these issues first that are unrelated to nutrients they're more related to just general plant health than anything else Mm. okay so that's what i look at when i'm applying nitrogen all of a sudden something goes off it's not something's not looking right i don't look at another nutrient first Mm. that's not that's not my approach i look at the the, the, yeah keep on guys just let's put these things things in perspective about 94 percent it depends on the plant but 93 to 95 percent of the plant is carbon hydrogen and oxygen that don't come from fertilizers mm-hmm. okay they come from <laughs> the air and from the from water okay they don't come from something you're applying to the to the soil or to the plant so we're fidgeting with about four to maybe six or seven percent of what's in the plant when we apply fertilizers Okay, it's a very small percentage when you look at the grand scheme of the plant. So when I'm looking at problems, I want to look at that 95%, and that comes from water, light, and temperature, or pests. You know, That's what I want to look at first. So if I check all that off, if you want to go down those roads, we can go down those roads. So let's say I checked all that off, and then mm-hmm. I want to start looking at nutrients. Then in that case, oftentimes I will take a soil test. And I'll ask specifically for the lab to give me sulfur because it doesn't usually come on a standard soil test. I'll take a soil mm. test. And in the, in, the, in the meantime, I, will, I won't just do that. I will take a soil test and I'll send that off to the lab and ask for sulfur. I'll do that. But in the meantime, I'll continue to tri- triage the, the situation, to, to troubleshoot the situation. Like I said in the past, I used to have these little one-gallon, tiny little pump-up sprayers I'd keep in my truck. And one of them had phosphoric acid and one of them had kcl in it one of them had 
you know, magnesium chloride in it or something, you know, whatever I wanted to spray out. And I would just go out in that little area and spray out a known volume that had a known concentration on the area of interest that just had P in it, that just had K in it, or just had magnesium in it, right? Or, you know, whatever element I thought might be the, the issue. You can get down on your hands and knees. And this is what I used to do when I was younger. I'd get down on my hands and knees, start looking at the leaves and trying to figure out which leaf is chlorotic and all these things. I'm like, yeah, it's too much work. Just get, just get a bottle and spray it out. And then three, three or four days, if you see something happen, there's a good chance that it was deficient in that element. <laughs> that's more of a, that's more of a non-scientific approach to it, but that's, that's what I do nowadays. Well, I haven't done it in years. So I've been out of the business, but that's what I used to do. Hey, so that's how I would go I, about when I applied nitrogen and I didn't see anything. I'd start troubleshooting it in that fashion, in that order, okay. water, light, temperature, pests, and then start, send a, send off a soil test. Maybe start looking at, other elements in the in the tissue. I'm sorry, Ray, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Okay. I've heard of that procedure where you have test solutions of known elements and you mm. literally make test patches. And you know what? I've done that too. I have done that as well because that is just so useful. And of course, me being me, I'm looking at the turf anyway close up because I also want to detect any kind of disease, insect pest, or nematode damage. I need to also rule that out before just saying, oh, we need to apply XYZ nutrient. I mean, I I do that too. And I think the whole point that needs to be made is that a lot of issues with turf grass appearance actually have nothing to do with nutrients uh, and they have to do with some other factor. In, in many cases, the reason right, why you're I, right, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, the only time I've seen nutrient issues created or needing to be addressed is in instances where the turf grass is on what I call the supermodel diet. Pretty lean. <laughs> Bulimic. Okay. Well, <laughs> you ever seen a at, turf absolutely. grass plant smoke a Marlboro? <laughs> okay. Dr. Shaddix, you said the word correctly because that situation where I see deficiencies are where 100% of all clippings and leaf litter are constantly removed month yeah, after month, got, yeah. year after year. Yeah. And you then you've got a potential for issues. And uh, that's why mm-hmm. I call it the supermodel diet, because I, I equate that removal of clippings and leaf litter to the, the laxative misuse, right? <laughs> it's the same thing. All the nutrients are going down the can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a comment yeah, so, in the chat. I, I haven't been watching the chat, but there was a comment that said, what about golf courses? That's where I did most of my stuff is on golf courses. I don't know if that comment was about this particular methodology. Um, mm-hmm. But I do the same thing on golf courses. Putting greens, tees. Yeah. I mean, most of my work has been on golf courses, fairways. I mean, it's easy to go, well, I'm not going to wait. I'm just going out there and spray the whole thing with whatever and cure it. That's antiquated thinking. Probably would work. Be honest with you, I'll be frank. If you put in a bunch of just junk and spray it out, you're probably gonna the, the answer's probably in there somewhere. You're probably gonna need you're probably gonna nail it. 
Yeah, you're probably going to need. Yeah, you're probably in there somewhere. You're going to get. But if we're moving, go ahead. Yeah, but then at the at the same time, I understand how that can get very costly at scale. Yeah, it can get extremely costly, costly versus. And yeah. also, and I'm sorry. I think in this might be a slight delay. I'm sorry, Ray. Yeah, it's costly, and also there's this uh, matter of applying more than what you need. It's it's basically a no no as well. So, I'm in favor of isolating what's needed. You know what's actually needed. And it's funny you should mention golf course or golf turf, Doctor Shadis, because. Mm-hmm. The kind of turf that I typically work with is in many respects similar to a golf green or a golf tee. Yeah. Short height of cut and total mm-hmm. removal of clippings. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're removing clippings. Yeah, that is a different challenge there. So Yeah. Oh so, yeah, it can and, be and, it, it can uh, be used wherever. But the, the idea that you can just apply everything and solve the problem mm-hmm. probably would work. But the mentality is antiquated and we've got to start shifting our thought process guys and gals and i don't mean just on what we're talking about now i'm talking about with water with pesticides with nutrients we can't just go out and say oh we'll go and go out there and throw out you know three different pesticides and three uh, six different nutrients and we're going to apply we're going to run water over you know we 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 are we got a target on our back whether we like it or not and we we've got to start thinking more consciously about the cost both to our uh, business, but also to the environment. It's just, it's many cases we're over applying nutrients that aren't particularly environmentally a concern, to be honest. They're not that big of a concern. But the, the idea, the concept, the critical thinking process about like, just we're going to apply everything. Well, eh, well, hold on here. You know, we've got to start, we got to, you know, a lot of people are, we got to continue to change our position such that we're, we're fine tuning and, and precision management is precision, as I was say, precision turf management is what you're talking yeah. about. We, yeah, we need to start moving. We, we are moving towards that direction, uh, but but it, it's it's understandable why it's difficult to move in that direction when you're waiting for an answer from the pathology lab. Meanwhile, you just go out there and spray out, you know, propconazole or whatever it is, and solve the problem. And then you, <laughs> before you get the answer back, you know, it's, it's already done. So I, I get the difficulty in it. I understand that, but a little patience can go a long way, um, not just with that particular lawn, but with your program. So, anyway, that's my thoughts on uh, that. No, I agree. I think, let me, let me go back and read these because there's a couple that popped up. Let's see. Yeah, I don't really, I'm sorry, I don't really listen or watch the chat on this channel or even on my own channel. It's hard for me to keep up with it. But <laughs> No, um, I think Dylan Miller is, ta- Miller is talking about golf courses which you know again i think the hedge here and and again sort of the uh dissonance to the wider adoption of precision turf grass management reasons that you just stated right there it's it's easier to just you know push play and carpet bomb the shit out of it with whatever yeah it's easier and it's less threatening for it it's more of a peace of mind because not because of the disease but because you think you're going to lose that customer or you think the golf pro is going to be upset, or you think you're going to lose your job. And I get all that. I mean, I, I, believe me, I understand. It, it's a concern, and you can immediately alleviate that by going and doing that right now, probably doing that right now, instead of waiting for four days to get the report back. I'm going to go ahead and do it now. And I get that. Um, 
but people are changing. I do feel that the pendulum's kind of coming coming back around where we're being a little bit more cognizant of the, the costs, not just financially or environmentally, but just the cost in that thought process to our industry. We, we need to, we need, we need, we need to, and are um, slowly sort of becoming more precision minded when it comes to these things. So I'll, I'll be honest, you know, this all came about because uh, we're talking about deficiencies. It, it I, I don't mean to make it complicated. I mean to make it more simple. And that is nitrogen is going to be your friend and anything else you're going to put in there, you should have a good reason for it. And there's very rarely good reasons. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you see a deficiency, take a soil test and confirm it, boom, put it out. Good reason. No problem. I'm good with that. But many, many times, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's extremely high that you just need nitrogen. Occasionally, you might need some phosphorus and very rarely do you need potassium. The, the, the chances of seeing a turf grass response to potassium are exceedingly low. Definitely can happen, but it's very, very low. So I mean, to, I mean to make it more simple, not more complicated. And sometimes I'm, I'm concerned maybe I'm making it more complicated than I intended. Actually, you are. But, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm not saying this in an insulting way, but mm-hmm. by having to narrow everything down to individual elements yeah. on a large scale, that makes it such that uh, that scale I can imagine the difficulty because on the other hand, the way I operate, it's very easy for me to be very individualized and precise. It's easy, Mm -hmm. but then Mm -hmm. I'm not dealing with 500 different turf areas over a hundred miles. I'm not doing that, you know, a little bit different. I think here here is the the problem, and this is more of just a commentary editorial, so much as in, in my opinion, is that the efforts that are being made to uh, increase the adoption of precision turf grass management practices are very very focused on the golf market right now, and I yeah. think if we were to take oh no, I mean not uh, it's sports turf to a, a certain degree, but. You're only seeing that adoption on a very small percentage of fields relative to the entire entirety of managed sports fields, right? I mean, parks and rec, high schools, you know, things of that nature versus, you know, say a professional sports field that can maybe afford or has the uh, the trained staff, right, to, to take on that type of responsibility and that decision-making tree. I think the, the holdouts and the, maybe the reason it, it, that, I don't know the reasons why lawn care isn't adopting it, but I could say that there's really not been a concerted effort from a industry level and, and, and from an academic level to address those specific concerns, right? Okay, you know, the, the idea of high-volume production lawn care does not match up with, you know, with uh, precision turf grass management, right? Like they're completely at opposite ends of the spectrum, generally speaking. So how do we move them closer to the middle, understanding that, yes, compromise will probably have to be made right on both sides. And we need to find, and, and this is what I would say, right, from a, if I was going to challenge a researcher, I would say, okay, what would be the most impactful things that we could do, right? One or two or three practices that could, we could eliminate, improve efficiency of whatever the case might be, right? Um, 
to move these people towards the middle and maybe even create some momentum to say, hey, this stuff isn't so bad after all, right? Me taking these steps and me maybe saying, hey, I've got an N-only program, but I'm going to carry you know, a bag of DAP on the truck mm-hmm. because if I show up at this one house, I need to switch this in my spreader because I'll be site specific. You know, just something simple yeah. like that. It's an easy tangent. Well, there's just to do. It, it's just a different approach. I mean, it's the opt out rather than opt in approach. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Uh, no one's no one's really doing the opt in approach. I said that from the beginning. No one's no one's coming to me and saying I have nothing. Build my program and I build it from scratch. I want to <laughs> opt in to things. Everybody's wanting well, to opt out of things, and that's much more difficult much more difficult i think so because the other you know okay okay. i'm I'm just saying it's much more difficult from a human psychological perspective because people are so accustomed and ingrained to putting out that magnesium putting out that potassium oh it's the stress blend we're going to put out there's probably just as many examples of potassium causing more stress than as there are leaving any and i can show you examples after examples of potassium resulting in greater microdosis greater anthracnose or on low end Okay, and so I can also attribute, you know, high potassium levels to salts. I think yeah, we had this discussion sword. before yeah. where, mm. you know, the osmotic potential of that soil, you know, going way up because mm-hmm. typical potassium source, for example, potassium chloride, does that mm. ring a bell? Muriate of potash? Yeah. I mean, what are what are we doing here? Because I know I personally am not a fan of putting out potassium without a good reason, and I'm even more critical of my potassium source. I'm even more cautious yeah. of, my, of my case source, Doctor Shaddix, because uh, I know for me, I'm a uh, industry renegade because my main potassium source is potassium nitrate yeah potnet's good yeah i mean i've had a lot of good success with that product for sure over the years no no doubt however Mm. even then i have to have a reason for doing that potassium nitrate you know i have to have a good reason Yeah, because it it. costs 1300 dollars a ton or whatever it is (laughs) it's very expensive oh don't say that this it's uh it's about $75 for 50 pounds here in Hawaii. dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Brian, back to your stuff. point, Ryan, is like I, I, I would prefer to opt in. No one does it. Mm-hmm. So you're asking, you know, you know, the reality is people are going to start opt, or opting out. They want to, in order to move them more towards the center, more towards the evidence line, we have to figure out a way to have them opt out, okay, of certain things. That was one of your first questions. Opt out of the micronutrients. Sure. That's easy. Opt out. You're probably mm-hmm. never going to see a response to zinc. You know the chance of you seeing a response to boron? It's ridiculous. I mean, get it out of there. Just check insane. my tissue it, levels just to make sure. Yeah, it, it's absolutely. It's, <laughs> all these micronutrient patch, packages going out, you're probably, if you see anything, you're going to see a response from the counter ion being sulfate and zinc sulfate more than you are from the zinc itself. <laughs> if, if that's the case, just apply ammonium sulfate and you'll be fine. Okay. So micronutrients can be almost completely eliminated in almost every case. I, iron is the exception. Liquid iron is the exception. Liquid manganese, maybe. You know, there's one or two there, but majority of them can be eliminated. Potassium and phosphorus can be greatly reduced, in my in my opinion. You know, knowing knowing the little bit that I know about the literature, I don't I don't think there's much evidence to support these really high rates of phosphorus and potassium. And it, you know, and and this is a this is a flaw, but I'm just going to say it anyway. 
the, the phosphorus levels in golf courses, the phosphorus applications in golf courses have been greatly reduced as a result of, of legislation, greatly reduced. Okay. And no one's running all over creation, screaming and yelling because our turf grass is dying from a lack of phosphorus on golf courses in Florida. No one's doing that. Okay. <laughs> and, but we've greatly, greatly reduced it. And lo and behold, not much has happened. Okay. And it's, it's just, the evidence is what it is. I mean, you, you don't really need to apply as much as we're applying. That's what it comes down to. And when you do see a deficiency, just spread out a little bit, you'll be fine. I guess the, the easiest way to say that, yes, is that, you know, I asked the question, what, you know, what are the ramifications? What are the consequences? And I think what I've heard here, you know, based on the body of evidence and, and it was a leading question a little bit is to say that by adopting, if you wanted to go down this route, right. Yeah. And opt in, start mm-hmm. with nitrogen only. And until you see an issue or whatever, but it, but, but it, it, you are not jumping off of a skyscraper with no parachute, right? It is not. not at all. I mean, it, not at yeah. all. I mean, it's kind of like, it's, I don't know. This is a bad analogy, but it's like if you drop, got dropped off in the middle of Zambia somewhere and they're speaking Swahili to you or something. You're like, you're completely lost and you don't know what, well, you're lost because you don't speak their language, but their culture works just fine. It works. Okay. They speak. Mm-hmm. They, they have a government, they have men and women and babies, and they need all the same things we need. They just do it differently, and it works just fine there. It's the same thing here. If you tell everybody, just apply nitrogen, they're going to freak out. Meanwhile, it works, okay? In, in oh, most yeah. cases, that's all you really need. But it's hard for people to truly feel comfortable with that when they've been so saturated with the concept of N and P and micronutrients and all this stuff for their entire career. It's not easy to to get them to shift off of that center line. I, 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 I empathize. I get that. Um, but hmm. you're, you're right, right? You're, you're not jumping off with no parachute and you're going to crash and die. If, if anything, the, the, the one piece of advice I give for anybody who chooses to take this plunge, maybe we should have like some sort of contest and see how many people, you know, can jump on board and, and do it, you know, and take, take the challenge. The only, one of the, the biggest piece of advice I can give you is, you better double calibrate those spreaders that those guys are going out at because you were spreading it at, at 250 and now you're going to go out with urea straight or you're going to go out with ammonium sulfate straight at 125 or 150, much, much lower per acre or I don't know what it is per thousand square feet, whatever. You better make sure because you might be doubling your nitrogen because the spreader wasn't changed and you're like, wait a second, I got to go out at a much, much lower rate. Here. You know, I'm, I was going out at this. Very high rate, and I got to lower this thing down. You better be careful because you'll lose your profit real quick if you keep it at the same rate you were putting out before. Sorry, go ahead, Ray. You know, I have to interject a little in that I've had talks with the guys on the Discord about utilizing just ammonium sulfate or just urea as okay. you know their main program, and oftentimes, you know what I end up telling them to do because it is mm-hmm. difficult to spread small amounts of AMS or urea, I tell them, you better be dissolving that and spraying that rather than trying to sling that through a spreader because the amount of product that you're actually applying per thousand square foot, Mm -hmm. you know, in many cases, it's no more than a pound or less per thousand square foot. It's not a lot. 
Yeah, if you're putting out urea, it's two and two and two two point two pounds or whatever it is. It's two point two pounds per thousand square feet, which is not a lot. And they might have been putting out five or ten before, you know. Yeah, of, of their so, conventional granular yeah. blend, and exactly. Likewise, my my other point is that a lot of times you don't even need a pound of nitrogen at a time. It's unnecessary. Yeah, I agree. You don't need yeah. it. On, on, uh, and, and along, uh, since we're talking about rates and nitrogen, and I've never really mentioned this before, is that I always, sometimes I also get the question: Well, um, I'm going to put let's let's say since you said you don't need a pound of nitrogen, let's say you're putting out a half a pound of N from urea. Let's just say that, okay? And you're putting out you're also putting out a half a pound of your N from like a fifteen five fifteen. That's a hundred percent urea, okay? So you have a blended fertilizer that's hundred percent urea, and you have a hundred percent forty six OO, and you put those both out at one or at a half a pound and N. Some people say, well, I'm getting a better spread rate at that higher spread from the 15.515, but you're not. It's the exact same number of particles of, of urea going out at a half a pound of N from a 4600 and a half a pound of N from a 15.515. That's 100% urea. It's the exact same particles per square foot because all the urea, all the nitrogen is from urea and you're putting it out at the same rate of nitrogen. So some people get confused about that. It's just that you're lowering the, the bulk spread rate down very low, which can easily be done. I do it all the time. But you better be used to it because if you're going to go straight up for urea, you want to make sure that you're putting out the right rate. And you're probably going out at two or three times the rate from your conventional fertilizer, as you said, Ray. So maybe they're using a whatever, I don't know, whatever they were using, 15, 5, 15 or 15, whatever the case is. Right, and right. your spreader it, it, is putting out five pounds per thousand. You need to make sure you're doing that. You're adjusting those down, especially if you're not the one it, behind the spreader, because they're just spreading out all because, your profit. <laughs> you didn't right, know it. because uh, as I said, when I've talked to these people, they give me a double take because I tell them, "Yeah, guess what? Your actual fertilizer application is going to be. It's going to be approximately one half to one pound of." dry material per thousand square foot and that's all you yeah. need and they and i say oftentimes the easiest and most accurate way to apply that much material to a given area is uh we've got to resync the fertilizer spreader because i know all too well the difficulties of trying to get a granular spreader to spread a product at pound per thousand because it's just not easy. It's not easy, Dr. Shaddix. I mean, I've seen people try to do it and fail. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't come out. And the other issue that I see when we get down to these low-rate applications is I'm familiar with what I'm going to call the green Dalmatian effect. When these pearls of fertilizer applied at a low rate land far apart and you end up polka dotting the turf. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, I it, it's like an entire adjustment in application methods and even application amounts. It's like an entire adjustment because everybody is used to throwing out three to 10 pounds of granular material per thousand square foot. Every time they make an application, they're used to it. Yeah. 
You know, yeah. this low, this we're, low we're rate creatures of habit. Yeah. No, this low rate precision application is man, that's going to require a uh, a seismic shift. <laughs> yeah. It's going to require a seismic shift for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, it, it, you know, I'm I'm if it to, to opt in is like I said, is completely contrary to what most people do. They opt out, or they, you know, so it's very different. You're speaking a different language, people aren't used to it. They're gonna, you know, if they want to do things efficiently and they want to get the most efficient program, then they're gonna have to think differently. And sometimes that means speaking a different language. And in this case, we're speaking just nitrogen, just the nitrogen language. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I and I think my position, I'm I'm very, I'm pretty convinced that my my position on this. Is well supported by the evidence. It's well supported by other other uh, faculty members and who are more knowledgeable on this issue, these issues than I am. It just it just doesn't. In fact, some of this research, the potassium research, was done because of look they were looking at it like why are you guys putting out all this potassium? There's a guy who there's a there's a uh, there's a guy Texas A and M who's a microbiologist. I was told to said this on my channel. He gave a talk one time on microbiology, and he had a golf course superintendent. He's like, why are you guys putting out all these micro microbes and soils all these bugs and why are you guys doing this well well what happened was the marketing got behind all these bugs in a jug and next thing you know it becomes common language in our in our industry and no one with any knowledge ever came in and stopped it and this microbiologist comes down there and goes you guys are crazy what are you doing this is insane you guys are wasting tons of money but meanwhile it was decades and decades of just we've been doing it we've been doing it now it's hard to change that habit and it's the same thing with NPK and micros. If you've been doing it the same way over and over and over, it's really hard to change that habit. And what I'm letting you know, Brian, Ryan asked me a question. It's just a question. That's my opinion. And based upon the evidence, the best I know it is I wouldn't be playing, applying NPK and my, micros. I'd be applying primarily in. Occasionally, if there's a phosphorus deficiency, I'd apply some. If there's a potassium deficiency, I'd apply some. If I want a little color, I'd spray some iron. And that's basically it in a nutshell. And if there's other little things that pop up, they're very easily remedied. It's not the end of the world. It, you know, it, it's usually pretty straightforward. But applying micronutrients to every lawn makes very little sense economically. It, it's just not supported by the evidence. The, the likelihood that you have, let's say you had 100 lawns, the likelihood that you even have two or three that have a zinc deficiency is exceedingly low boron deficiencies and all these things it's just so low it's it's you know you could be you you might have one but it's so low it's not worth including in the program in my view if we're looking to become more efficient so mm. that's my well take. gentlemen it what's is your, well what's your take well before we go ryan what's your take oh oh well we, yeah what well, would you do what was the question again well the question is what would you eliminate first <sighs> out of the entire program if you're going to put something on the on the do not apply list, no matter what, what would it be? Uh, if I had to start with something simple, I would say uh, phosphorus for sure, and then probably potassium next. I think that those are two. Again, what the evidence demonstrates, and also the risk to reward ratio on that situation. Right there's there's few instances where it's absolutely necessary. I think that. If you need to, right, based on a visual response, I'm a bigger proponent of 
you know, soil testing than what you might be. But I also think too, that you cannot solely rely on numbers, right? You, there is still an art, right. And an experience factor of looking at turf and understanding the, uh, rigors that it's under. And I think this is the also, also too, is my approach to building a lawn care program is similar to Matt's and much more similar to Ray's in that, you know, we are not selling a set of tasks that's hopefully going to produce a product rather we're selling you the outcome and ultimately what it takes to get there and that's a that's a very different approach than um you know how how most lawn care programs are structured at this point so i think that there's there's ways that folks can save i think that ultimately you can't save your way into prosperity and that um you know if you return all of that or, or figure all of that to be in your margin and that you're going to make all this profit simply by running nitrogen, I think you're mistaken. I think that you always need to have uh, a contingency fund built up for, hey, when things arise and problems, you know, rear their head, you need to be able to deal with them. And I'm not just talking about, you know, nutrient deficiencies or, uh, you know, other issues, right? You have to be able to respond. I think the thing I would eliminate too, here's a, here's a good one. Here's a uh, an interesting one is that, uh, I think that our response in many cases in turf grass, and this goes golf course, sports, lawn care. I mean, I've, I've seen it all, worked it all. I can, I can say this with uh, absolute certainty is that I think far too often our response to underperforming or struggling turf grass is to simply fertilize it more with nitrogen and hope it gets better. Very common. And, uh, <laughs> I think that that response, right, if you're talking about opting in to things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is something that you should not necessarily do i think that the the power of observation uh to your point you go back to util, utilizing a you know a plant diagnostic lab right or a plant pathology lab to accurately identify a disease so that i don't make an incorrect product choice not only waste the labor but use the wrong chemistry for example if we're going to talk about pathology and then ultimately i've got to go back out and treat it again or maybe i've even exasperated the issue right um mm-hmm. you know there's, there's so again I think that in and of itself is a very approachable way to start with surfgrass management. I like the opt-in. I like that 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 uh, characterization, that that uh, nomenclature, if you will, of how to you know get folks to think about: shall I do or shall I not do? And are there legitimate reasons why I'm actually doing this? I'll show you this, and I think maybe I I'm I, eh, we're running out of time here, but I do want to do this. J Pink's gonna kill me, by the way uh let me see if i can find this really quick glyphosate <laughs> i don't think that i don't think that dr shaddix has met uh the glyphosate guy if he has uh, uh let's I see used to work with a guy that couldn't he couldn't pronounce uh, well glyphosate to save his life he always said glyphosate he couldn't couldn't pronounce it i think it's a speech impediment and i don't know i'm not talking down to people with speech impediments i just that think that uh, well, I, I, I think I think it's more like a developmental disability, uh, Ryan. Jeez. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I, I, I think. Okay, that's... I mean, I mean that's that's more like it. It's not a speech thing because people incapable of pronouncing things. People that that's... instead they just wing it. Mm. Uh I call that developmentally disabled. Here we go. To put it nicely, we're going to keep it that way because this is YouTube. (laughs) All right. I'm going to send this to JPink. We're going to look at this real quick. And then 
Uh, we're going to let Dr. Shaddix plug his uh, channel and we're going to get out of here. So JPing, go to bed. JPing, put this up. And for those of you that cannot <laughs> join us in Daytona, this will actually be on my presentation that I have to send to Dr. Shaddix in uh, the next 12 or so hours so that he can ship it out to yeah. uh, the powers that be. All right. This is it right here. Maybe you disagree. I, I'd like you to look at this and think about this. Okay. Because you have a much more analytical and deeper thinking mind than I'll ever have. And uh, <laughs> God bless you for that. Seriously. Um, there are four. By the way, Ryan. Only four. Yes. Ryan, this is my favorite quote right here. This right here is my favorite absolute thing. <laughs> my, I, wrote, I wrote this some years ago, Dr. Shaddix, uh, as I thought about an opt-in strategy okay i didn't characterize it at that at the time but whatever i was on that same path right of why or why not should we do this right and what i thought about was that there are only four types of products that we apply turf grass only mm. these four exist and nothing else okay. okay products that flat out don't work we had mm. we know that these products are applied you see these uh, and probably shake your head and say, that's absurd because they have a million views on YouTube. Um, okay. Two, products that make you feel good about applying, but you don't know if they really work. We just talked about that, right? Marketing is yeah. at the root of that effort. Powerful, yeah. Product, mm -hmm. Products that you know that work, but don't really make you feel good. Well, we all know that there are products and not necessarily in fertility, unless you get into some of the you know fancy jugs yeah. and foliar stuff and whatnot. but especially mm -hmm. on the uh, control side that, gosh, I don't like paying for this, but darn it, it works. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that's just the way it is, right? It's hard to stomach and it's yeah. hard to swallow for a lot of people on the pricing side. Finally, products mm -hmm. that make you feel good about applying them because you know they really work, see good value, right? Mm -hmm. And I think what, in a, in a very crude sense, what uh, you're after is, as many number fours as you can spray or spread on a lawn at any given time as needed. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to find the pro the, 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 whatever fertilizer I'm the fertilizer business. So, I mean, that's what I, I don't can speak to anything else, but what, what is the minimum amount of the least expensive product that I need to apply to, to result in whatever product I'm trying to produce? You know, that's what I'm looking for. So I can make, I can make the lawn look good with every product except number one, I guess. Um, maybe number two. In other words, nitrogen from urea or polymer-coated urea can make the lawn look great. I feel a lot better about urea being in product um, category number four. Polymer-coated ureas are always going to be in number three. But the lawn will mm -hmm. look the same. More, more or less, the lawn will look the same. The turf grass will look basically the same, regardless from the sources, assuming you apply them at the right rate for the respective released characteristics. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to tell someone not to spend their money on polymer-coated urea. It's their money. I'm saying I wouldn't spend it on there because it's it's to it it the cost to achieve the result is much greater than it is from urea. In most cases, you know, there might be mm -hmm. some strange situation, but yeah, yeah, I see what you're going with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so iron oxides uh, in category number one. Can we put iron oxide in category? So you're, you're asking me what basically at the beginning, what would you completely eliminate? So you're asking what products go into category number one. I would say I can't put micro, all micronutrients permanently in there, but, you know, scientifically, but pragmatically I would. Yeah. 
pragmatically, you basically have no chance of seeing a response from the majority of those except for iron and maybe manganese. Fair so, enough. Yeah, I, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I just All right, guys, I got to go to bed before I get... Before my... Uh, I have to go to bed. Hey, here, where, so. hey where, where do they find Where do they find you? How can they find? Oh you yeah, if um, yeah. So yeah, just be sure to, if you want. To, I, I'm on. I'm on YouTube Live on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday mornings at uh, 10 a.m. on Turfgrass Epistemology, and then I come on on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. I do a Wednesday night show. Right now, it's probably going to change at some point. It already has changed once. It'll probably change in the future. I'd like to do a little bit better content, which means I probably need to. Do, I'll probably do less content, but l- less quantity but better quality content so we'll see if that we'll see if that comes around i don't know but and then go on any of the podcasts and you can uh, listen to like for example if i did a show today you could listen to the podcast tomorrow and look for me in north florida and, and daytona if you want to come over and say hello come over and say hello there you go okay all, all right, right guys all right. gentlemen thank you so much all right everybody all, all right see you all bye all right, see you bye